Well, I, I'm Mrs. Voorhees, an old friend of the Christie's. Welcome once again to Once They Dead, the podcast that covers the murky world of cult and horror films. Uh, this episode, it's our 13th episode, so we are looking at uh, Sean S. Cunningham's absolute slasher classic, uh, Friday the 13th. And to help us along the way, we've got some friends from London. Uh, well, not from London, but who are living in London, uh, Dom and Connor. So say hello, Dom and Connor. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and then the usual uh, WSD team, uh, Crazy P, a.k.a. Paul Doran. Hello. And Mr. David Hanna. Hello. Yay. So, yes, <laughs> this this episode we're looking at uh, Friday the 13th, which is um, kind of one of those films that I think we, I think maybe apart from D, we, we all kind of have a, a fondness for from our, from our youth. Um, but it was Paul's choice, so, Paul, do you want to say... Um, why you chose it, and um, basically why you asked Dom and Connor to to join us? Yeah, um, well, I the first time I watched it actually, I think Connor and I uh, were uh, I think we were meant to get up for work at like ten o'clock the next morning or something, and we uh, or probably earlier than that, but we uh, I think started watching it about nine ten p.m. Uh, we found the first one online or on 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 demand and. Uh, we watched it and started drinking a bit of whiskey and got totally cooked. And I think at maybe 10 a.m. the next morning, we sort of finished watching this fifth or sixth one, probably. We didn't quite get to Manhattan, but uh, we definitely got as far as six or seven. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, and it, it, yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> I totally <laughs> fell in love with the series. And, and then I think Dominic, then we watched, uh, watched, tried to watch a whole lot with you one day then. So that was, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm very fun watching it with you guys, so I thought you'd be natural choices for for this. And uh, I think uh, it had been a long time, though. It had been six, seven years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, Dom and Connor, you you guys are kind of troopers because recently you watched the entire. Was it the entire, or just like like one to eight in in, in one yeah. night? Up to eight. Yeah. Um, and when I was going to watch nine when I get home, but then I. <laughs> Went to bed. Sense flicks that would have been ridiculous. Yeah, um, we're definitely watching it for like twelve hours or something. Yeah, they're like most of the sequels are completely hateful. Actually, eight is probably the best sequel, which is, <laughs> but that's not said much. <laughs> uh, nine and ten. I can't even remember nine. Ten is ten is is ten tens in space. Yes, Jason yeah. X. But then you know you do you get a payoff because Freddy versus Jason is. Probably one of the best late Freddy and Friday sequels. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun. It's a good, it's a good bookend for both characters. Yeah, I nice. still stand by Freddy first I'm kind of worried about watching it again in case it's a lot worse than I actually remember. Yeah, kind of. I remember being quite good fun. Yeah, it was one of those things. It was in the, it was on the, on the, on the cards for a while, but then because Paramount and New Line, I think, kind of had arguments and mm-hmm. different people in suits were getting involved. It didn't happen for, you know, for about 10, yeah, 10 years after it was supposed to. 
I think it had a lot of rewards. Of course, it ended with uh, Freddy's Glove coming up. Exactly. There was another Friday sequel before Freddy vs. Jason emerged. Yeah. A really terrible. <laughs> um, so I think uh, we'll we'll get on with the beers. Uh, Dee, do you want to go first? Uh, I only have Tiger Bear. That's the only thing sitting around the house. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Um, and the only reason I can come up with is because the tiger is also a sort of cold-blooded killer that stalks things. Why not? <laughs> Just like Mrs. Voorhees? Yeah. You might have heard, as as you said, Tiger, uh, our, our resident tiger walked in there, uh, Django again, who uh, <laughs> who's now appeared in more episodes than Yay, Django! So he's he's gonna be with us in the in the background. So excuse that. Uh, Paul, what 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 beers have you brought along? Uh, I have uh, Crazy Mountain Amber Ale uh, because I know it's not a mountain, but it's it's almost like your. I'd say they're probably nearby mountain movie and uh, everything. Mr. Boy is crazy. Crazy uh, Mountain Living Ale as well. And uh, then there's um, uh, Flying Dogs, Raging Bitch, uh, Belgian Style IPA, which uh, sort, of, sort of speaks for itself, really. And uh, that's a great, that's a great one. I have to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. Partisan Brewing Saison, which I can't really find a, a connection for at all. Uh, other than it is, uh, yeah, it's a, a, a season. It's a, the so- season of summer. <laughs> uh, there you go. Yeah, it's a season. So there you uh, go. And uh, Dom and Connor, what have you got? Um, we're very heavy on the um, on the pork puns. Um, I was standing waiting on Dom in the Tesco looking for a, a beer that was called Clever Pig, but I couldn't find one. Um, so I've got no, I've got a one with a hog on it called Old Thumper because because uh, Cunningham. I've got another one. With a, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got one called Hogs Back as well, which is a chocolate lager, uh, and a couple a blood red a red ale and a Scottish one that's brewed with blood oranges. Oh, nice. Plus that one there. Innocent, innocent gun. Oh yeah. Um, I've got Sharps Atlantic because this takes place across the Atlantic in America. <laughs> I've got Hogs Back because Kevin Bacon. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess, I guess. I've got um, all the way from Cornwall, I've got your doomed bar. <laughs> doomed. Yeah. Um, Oh, I've got Sussex Ale, which was only 99p because the label's missing. <laughs> Fears at home. Wow. But um, it's from Good Wood, Home Farm. Wood, Woods. Good. Wood. <laughs> I've got Optical Illusion, which is some... Um, we, we bought a lot of beer. I've got Optical Infusion Golden Ale, which has a big M and a line underneath it. And when you turn it on its side, it's 13. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's pretty yeah. good. Uh, Talk about some tenuous legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the last one is a good old Witchwood Brewery, Hobgoblin Gold. So there's probably quite a few tenuous links in there. I'll just leave yeah. with. So there you go. Very wood was a big factor in our purchases. 
Uh, well, yeah, I've I've done the same as Dom, and I've got Doom Bar. Oh, because you're all Doom. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I've got Cobra because of the snake that Alice finds in the cabin. Oh yeah, yeah. forgot about that. We haven't had a chat about the snake. I mm. talk about that there. Mm. Uh, and I've got um, an autumn ale called Late Red. Red because it's blood, and then autumn because I think it was filmed in the autumn time. Mm-hmm. It's certainly very rainy. Yeah, because it's yeah, it's kind of it's it's kind of funny because Halloween was set in the autumn but filmed in the spring, mm. and Friday the Thirteenth was set in the summer but filmed in the autumn. So they never seem to get it right. Um, and then Brooklyn Lager because I guess in the context of the mass that is America, New Jersey isn't really that far from Brooklyn, is it? No, but then um, Jason ends up in Manhattan. Well, there you go. Actually, yeah, that's a better one. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of looking forward to the culmination of the uh, original Paramount series. <laughs> Part eight. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, you good one, Carl. Actually, and we could have uh, from both and Bourbon, we could have made some Manhattan's. That would have been a, a good oh, yeah. We'll have to do one about the number eight then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've, got to, we've got to do two, two, three, seven first. <laughs> That's the rules. <laughs> so better get started, lads. Yeah, I'm gonna crack open the Doom Bar here. So cool. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I guess we'll all crack open a beer and we'll come back and talk about the film after this. You're going to camp blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph! Get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse. How far is it to Camp Crystal Lake? We ain't gonna stand for no weirdness out here. I got to walk to you. You're doing what you stay. Hi. We're going to Camp Crystal Lake. Bill, I think we should call someone. This is a jump on their brain. I'm serious. I really think we should call someone. It's got a death curse. Death curse. Death curse. Did you know that a young boy drowned the year before those two others were killed? The counselors weren't paying any attention. They were making love while that young boy drowned. Are they all dead? Yes, ma'am. The boy. Is he dead too? Who? The boy, Jason. Jason? In the lake, the, the one who attacked me, the one who pulled me underneath the water. Ma'am, we didn't find any boy. Then he's still there. Okay, yeah, so here we go, uh, Friday the 13th, John S. Cunningham, 1980. Um, Paul, you, you, I think you were kind of saying before we should maybe we should do a bit of a synopsis, but it's, I mean, it's one of those films, if, 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 you've, if, if, if you're listening to this podcast and, and you haven't seen Friday the 13th, then what, you know, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> yeah. Go away. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, one of those films that I guess has, has become so important because it kind of marks 
the beginning of the golden age of the slasher era because kind of John Carpenter's Halloween, I suppose, is seen as the beginning. You could argue that Bob Clark's Black Christmas was the first American slasher, but basically Friday the 13th saw the the slasher film become like the the body count film where um the kind of the amount of deaths and, and the way in which people are killed becomes more important than the actual horror and then the suspense and and you kind of see this developing um into the into the 80s with films like you know uh, territory and prom night and uh he knows you're alone and things like that um and then obviously the friday the 13th series itself you know just blew you know went mental after this especially after part two when we actually kind of get jason part three when jason gets his hockey mask and then the rest as they say is is uh, cinematic history um, so I think it's a it's a pretty important film in in terms of the horror genre, but I think we can all agree it's one of those films that we all kind of um, like to come back to every now and then because I mean I think I first saw Friday the Thirteenth when I was when I was about maybe thirteen or fourteen or something like that, um, and I think the first film I actually saw was Jason Jason Goes to Hell, um, which is probably the worst Friday the Thirteenth film to start with because Jason isn't really in it, and then we got to we kind of um, HMV in Belfast back in the days in VHS. They they had all the initial, the original kind of Paramount uh, re-releases, all the, all the MPAA kind of edited uh, versions of Friday the 13th. And uh, we started collecting them. And so as a result, um, Friday the 13th for me is actually kind of quite nostalgic. And it's one of those films that actually kind of makes me a bit sad when I watch it because it kind of rem- reminds me of being young and, and my family and, and my brother and my sister and all that kind of stuff. Um, I recently went, or it was a few years ago now, I was in uh, the QFT, they had a horror all-nighter, and it ended with The Exorcist, director's cut, and this this was about four in the morning, so it might have been down to, to fatigue, but I actually started crying at the end of The Exorcist, um, <laughs> because I just, think, I just think it's such a beautiful film, and it's the same with Friday the 13th, whenever it kind of has that final shot, looking in at the lake, and that kind of beautiful Harry Manfredini's beautiful music starts, I kind of start to kind of feel emotional and nostalgic, Um would you, would you guys say it was the same for you, or do you just kind of view it as a, like a kind of gory slasher film? I don't know. Um, I certainly had some some very good memories about watching it from over the years. Certainly from the time living in Belfast and the couple of marathons that we did, it was always uh, it was a great laugh. But I have to say now that when me and Dom watched it a couple of weeks ago, we did watch eight of them all in one day, so it might have been a bit of an overload, and we were. <laughs> heavily drinking at, at the time um, but the first one that um, we, we kind of slated it the whole way through like really really pulled it to pieces but by the third film we were pining for it we were almost in tears like my god this is freaking yeah. atrocious <laughs> I wish <laughs> what you wouldn't give to watch the first one again yeah it becomes a classic when you watch the sequels <laughs> yeah I still, I still do love it. I mean, we just watched half of it there now right before coming on. Uh, without, you know, didn't even like take a second thought about it, and sat through it quite happily. But uh, I've, 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 I, I can't remember watching it seriously. But I don't think I, I, I was, I, I saw Halloween when I was very young. So I was always more like a Halloween person on the sequels. I can't remember when I first saw. Friday the 13th. I remember Jason Takes Manhattan being on TV every Christmas for some reason. It was always the one that they showed on TV. But I never, maybe I never saw the first one young enough for it to have, like, for me to treat it as a serious horror film. 
So when the first time I saw it, I only ever saw how it ripped off good horror films. But I find, I find it very difficult to watch now. I definitely don't get I don't get teary eyed at the end. <laughs> but, but that's but I but that's why um, films and memories are very powerful. Like I have I have films that other people hate that I I watch and I sort of you know have very strong nostalgic feelings for. But um, uh, oh, I, I definitely don't feel that way about this film. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to hear uh, Dee's thoughts because Dee, when did you when did you first see Friday the Thirteenth? I mean, it's not really a favorite film of yours, is it? No, I, I don't have the nostalgia factor either, so I, I wouldn't have what I would call nostalgia bias in that sense. But uh, like, I think I watched it maybe it was about four or five years ago with you Ian for the first time. Yeah, in Belfast. So, yeah, uh, but I couldn't remember it that well for some reason, and then when I watched it back there. Uh, I watched it today actually as well. Um, it's some of it's pretty bad actually. It's just uh, <laughs> like the the acting is just soft. Oh, it's it's like it's trying to describe it. It's so bad, yeah. Um, especially you know the the first female character at the start, Annie. Yeah, Annie. she's just so annoying. You just want her to die, like. Um, no. Just... <laughs> okay, outside, the, uh, outside the gas station as well. Yeah, yeah. she's kooky. Yeah, she's yeah. Really- Cookie, like in, in like forty-five seconds, like she's like to the dog. Oh, you don't speak English, do you? Oh, what way am I going? Am I going that way? Okay, see ya. <laughs> I know. And like the, the first thing, she, the first thing she basically does when she's check when she's talking to the dog is she checks checks to see whether or not it has a cock because she goes, uh, "Hey, girl. Oh, excuse me. Hey, yeah. boy." And it's like yeah. oh, it doesn't really matter. You speak English? How far is it to Camp Crystal Lake? Oh god. Where she's talking she about calling the children kids. Truck with the driver. That's, this is a whole other story. <laughs> One thing that really annoys us is that he's from the country and the camp is 20 miles away and he's going 10 miles and he's like, oh, well, I'll drop you off halfway. <laughs> but a real country person would take her all the way. Yeah. He, yeah. Te- he tells her all these horror stories and then he's like, goodbye. <laughs> yeah. out of the truck. Outside a, outside a graveyard. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll just leave you here by this graveyard yeah. and you find your own way. <laughs> but that, that scene where she's talking to him in the truck where they've got the two reverse shots, it's so awkward because obviously they weren't both in the truck at the same time when they're having that conversation. And the pauses between their lines of dialogue and she's not even in the same island as him <laughs> yeah. and it's just like it's it's terrible it's really bad <laughs> which is kind of annoying because it looks really nice i love all the daytime handheld stuff it, i mean it you you could make a good film and keep a lot of those shots but uh it's there's something about the acting in it and the really unnatural dialogue it's it's very like it's very much like a parody of slasher films mm. where nobody talks that, that like a real human being. Mm. And that particular scene the, that you're talking about, the the dialogue is edited that way. So that's I mean that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, they've, uh, they've actually cre- created that like cre- yeah actually pieced that together. Yeah, and it's still terrible. You know, they could have they could have just made that better. They could have shortened the pauses. And yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's awful. But same time. But so, I feel bad for her because she doesn't even make it to the camp. No, oh. she doesn't yeah. even get that. She didn't even get that far, and and it was her dream. It was her dream to work yeah, kids. She, she just wanted to cook for fifty kids in ten. <laughs> she doesn't yeah. like all them kids, though. I don't. 
Because they sound like little goats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some, there's some terrible jokes in this film. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I mean... You can just the... see the 50-year-old screenwriter pissing themselves laughing <laughs> as they're writing these jokes. Like, uh, that's coming out of a 17-year-old in front of commas. Mouth, that's not funny. Yeah. One, one of the worst ones that just always makes me cringe is comes from Ned, and Ned's oh, obviously God, supposed Ned. to be the Joker, so you'd expect him to come up... Because he does have some pretty good lines, like, and some pretty good moments that are quite funny like when he shoots the arrows past Brenda oh. and, she, and she gets annoyed and he does it you know you're beautiful when you're angry sweetheart oh, I, I kind of think that's that's quite funny but, but whenever really um that, whenever Bill kills the snake and then someone says is it dead and he says either that or it's got a very short clone yeah, yeah. that is the shittest most laboured <laughs> fucking joke that he yeah. could have possibly made and then Marcy makes an even worse joke she says uh, at least yeah. we know what's for dinner oh my god <laughs> What was the second one? Marcy then says, well, at least we know what's for dinner. Oh. Uh, okay. <laughs> These people. But yeah, that thing Ned did to her by firing the arrow, I mean, I'd be incredibly angry. Yeah. Yeah. You would be well within your rights to be very angry. <laughs> <laughs> Every absolutely... time I watch that scene, I get pissed off at him. I'd be absolutely yeah. avid. Yeah. Uh, uh, apparently it was uh, uh, Tom Savini who, who fired the arrows. Oh, okay. Really? Right? Yeah. That's um, I was reading. That's supposed to be a massive scare as well. Um, like really? To do with the music. Yeah. Uh, well, when I was reading up about this earlier, they only play the music whenever the killer is present and all the other moments mm -hmm. that are supposed to be jumps. And that was one of them. But I didn't really feel that it was scary or jumping. No. Mm -hmm. But, you're, but, you're but it's more annoying. It's like it, it, exactly. gets you, yeah. it gets a rise out of you, but not, not the right kind of rise. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, what? What if he'd missed on like hit her in the chest? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see that film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like I'd like to see the film where the guy pretends to drown and then drowns. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the, I'd, like uh... see, I'd like to see teenagers coping with accidental deaths. <laughs> but the, but the nice thing about uh, about that scene with Brenda is that it, it it actually foreshadows her 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 eventual death, you know, because she eventually does end up in the archery range and does eventually get end up having arrows fired at her, and then that's how she dies. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's kind of a nice wee, a nice wee. Um, yeah, yeah. There's not much foreshadowing in it. No. The, the other foreshadowing is that <clears throat> somebody said somebody says something about a snake. Yeah, somebody mentions like um, about ten or fifteen minutes before the the snake is yeah. in the cabin about uh, oh what, there's going to, there's going to be snakes in the cabin or something and then ten or fifteen minutes later there is That's one. Right. Yeah. yeah, Ned right. Ned Ned says uh, they neglected to tell us that downtown they call this place Camp Blood and then yes, that's right. I think Marcy says something like next thing you're going to be telling us there's snakes in the cabins <laughs> yes that's it and there is a snake in the cabins oh, so they kill it <laughs> they the, snake, the snakes in the cabin weren't actually meant to be in the script it was just that was something that just sort of happened in, on the set so they just yeah. included it hmm. so I don't know if that, that that foreshadowing was probably just just complete coincidence Stumble across a few coincidences and yeah. stuff, and then they'll just fade out. Well, yeah, sure, we'll use they probably don't even think we'll use that for dramatic effect. It just sort of accidentally creates some dramatic effect. I mean, I don't think this film is, is elegant enough to really have <laughs> any intentional dramatic effect. That's what I read as well, Paul. Um, like, apparently, it actually happened, and when all the actors were staying in the cabin, 
and thought it was yeah. scary, so they throw it in to the film. Yeah, yeah again, I think it was Tom Savini's idea. Uh, um, and I think Tom Savini also came up with the idea of Jason jumping out of the water at the end of the film. Really? So he, he seems to have actually had quite a quite a quite a prominent role beyond the kind of the special effects um, in the film. But uh, I suppose in that way he could be seen as like he could be credited with the entire series. Then yeah, yeah, pretty much. Well, that, that's something that I want to bring up. First of all. About about the ending, spoilers. We'll we'll assume people have seen the film, but I I I assumed that that was Sean Cunningham saying, "Right, I'm going to rip off Carrie," which has a jump scare at the very end when you have very yeah. very nice music and you assume that everything is okay, and then you have a big jump scare. I thought that was a direct rip off of that. Yeah, well, it probably is. I mean, like you, like you did is, kind of so. post Carrie, like like that's kind of when that that trope starts coming into horror films. You see it in other kind of slasher films like um, Slaughter High. Do you remember, do you remember, do you remember Slaughter High? Okay, that kind of happens at the end of that. And there's a few other things. And I think Carrie is kind of credited with with that, with creating that that idea that, you know, the audience thinks the film's over and then, oh no, one last scare. And then obviously that's kind of referenced in um, in Scream. Remember the yeah. thing like Randy says that or something? Oh, oh no, Scream 2, I think. Oh no, don't, this is the point at which the killer comes back for it's, one last scare. It's the first one, but then uh, is it Nev like shoots him in the head and she's like, <laughs> not this time. <laughs> yeah, not, not in my movie or something, yeah. Well, supposedly Tom Savini did see Carrie and that's why he suggested putting that in. Ah, uh, okay. Right. So, so there you go, I guess. But since since we're talking about Tom Savini, I mean, the the the, the reason they got him on board was because of the work he'd done on Dawn of the Dead and they obviously wanted someone who was going to be able to create these kind of big gore effects that, that they wanted because like when you look back on a, you know Halloween Halloween isn't really that gory it's kind of one of those yeah. films that you, you're kind of convinced it's a violent film but when you actually watch it there isn't really that much blood there's like a few stranglings and then lots of the stabbings happen in the dark and or off screen and there's no blood but Friday the 13th you know you kind of have like arrows going in eyes and and you know machetes are axes to the face and things like that like what do you guys kind of think of of Savini's SFX work on Friday the Thirteenth? Yeah, I, I think the, the the effects work on it is it, it, it's great, but I mean, obviously, it's this kind of movie is is totally different. I think from Halloween or from say, but Halloween was more in the vein of, of Hitchcock or something, more in the vein of Psycho or Don't Go in the House. You know, it was similar as well. You know, like a lot of a lot of psychological horror, but this is just this is an indulgent like post punk kind of. Um, Kind of thing, or just it, it just you know goes all out and just just says what the hell, let's let's go nuts here, you know, and then like see what we can do, and then they they get creative with in a, in a horrible way, but they get they get creative and it's impressive the, the effect work. It's uh, yeah. yeah, I think uh, I the most horrific one for me is certainly uh, Kevin Bacon getting the yeah <laughs> right through the back of his neck while he's just lying in bed having a cigarette or a joint. It's not explicitly yeah. said, but. He's certainly being punished for having had some sex. I like I like the one where Annie gets her throat cut. It looks really good. The mm. way the the way the blood starts trickling down after oh. the strike. It's yeah. really good. It looks real as well. Like Kevin, yeah. you can see like it's obviously his head only with a, a fake front, but with Annie, it yeah. does, it, yeah. there's a little bit of discoloration, but it still looks really, really. Yeah, good. it does. And weirdly. The camera doesn't linger too long on either of those shots. Like the, mm. the, 
it's like Tom Savini work, but it maybe maybe you get like five seconds and then it's cut away. Like they don't exploit the fact that they had him doing that. Whereas in Dawn of the Dead, like it's it's completely like over the top kind of Tom Savini work. But in this film, they seem to sort of cut away sooner than you think they might. Mm. And it's definitely not for reasons of subtlety because there's absolutely <laughs> nothing <laughs> subtle about this film. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, I think the the entire series definitely did suffer at the hands of the MPAA when it was released in America, um, and they and they kind of cut cut a lot of stuff. Um, and I think I think as far as I can remember, as far as I know, the majority of the series is essentially unavailable in its in its unadulterated form. So basically, every single Friday the Thirteenth film that, that that we own in DVD has been cut by the MPAA and wasn't actually it's not actually the, the violence that was intended. Um, so that might be the reason. Um, yeah, explain it. Yeah, because yeah. it does seem to cut very quickly away from some of those scenes. Yeah, but it's it, odd that, that that they're still not available. And mm. maybe they just maybe Sean Cunningham can't be arsed going back and trying to like yeah, um, re-release whatever his original vision was. Friday the Thirteenth director's cut. <laughs> 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 Put it in your Dee, what do you think about uh, Savini's work in this film? Yeah, no, it was one of the few things I was actually impressed with in the film. Um, I really liked, I think it was the axe in the face. I know you don't see it, but it looks quite convincing, the, the end product of it. Like. Yeah, you don't see the the, the actual um, act. She just mm-hmm. appeared, like she falls into shot with the axe already mm-hmm. in her face. It was yeah. still, still very, very, very well done. Yeah. yeah, but is that, that the shot's done brilliantly because um, you, you just see the axe poised and then it it, uh, it flies through the air and, and hits the lamp and the lamp's like waving about the place <laughs> yeah. and then it cuts yeah. to Marcy's yeah. face with the axe embedded in her face and that that, that touch with the lamp swinging yeah. is just yeah. genius. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and apparently, apparently, whenever you know, whenever Brenda gets thrown through the window at the end when it's just Alice left, apparently, like that, that was Savini as well, like the uh, the stunt. The stunt was done by Tom Savini. Uh, it's just like basically it's his, his film. Yeah, <laughs> All the good. Actually, talking about through uh, your windows, I remember Connor the first time we watched the series, noticing that pretty much every opportunity, every time you see a window, somebody is coming through the window, yeah. like backwards. Jason, Jason loves throwing through windows. That's a bit of a that's a bit of a trope throughout the series. Yeah. I think yeah. uh, windows you should always be terrified. And I, I would keep my curtains closed at all times. Now just in case. <laughs> if, if anybody, if anybody ever throws you through a window, turn around. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I it, it happens at the end of part three, doesn't it? When it's just yeah. um, when Chris is left, and then Rick gets thrown through the window at the end. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the special effects are class, but it, it is one of those things where it's Blu-ray, I think, hasn't necessarily been totally kind to the special effects work. Because I, I always remember uh, Annie's uh, death and then Kevin Bacon's character Jack's death as being just flawless. But then watching it on an HDTV with a, um, on a Blu-ray player, um, you do actually notice the whatever it is like the fake neck or or, or, or the uh, or the putty or something you really uh, do yeah. Yeah. yeah but like apparently like uh, Annie's I think Sean S. Cunningham as, as they kind of did in those days they the directors would go and, and watch watch the, the films to see how audience, audiences reacted and um, I think uh, whenever that was 
when whenever Annie's death happened, I think there were actually like kind of screams in the audience and stuff because like it was like Jesus, they're actually showing the fucking neck, you know, yeah. open and the blood coming out. Um, and and there's, there's there's a nice effect whenever Kevin Bacon's character dies because um, Kevin Bacon's basically lying on the bed and then Tom Savini's below him, blowing mm-hmm. blowing the blood through, but it was like the, uh, there's like an unintended f- effect where it kind of bubbles. Yeah, yeah. and they kind of obviously they only maybe only only had one take, but whatever, whatever for whatever reason they've kept that in, and it's it's just fucking grotesque, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. right through the windpipe, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, Savini, uh, definitely, um, definitely a, a talking point of the film, anyway. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, the the film in general kind of um begins those uh, slasher tropes, doesn't it? Because you've got Ned, who's the the Joker, and then you've got the couple. He's also a sex pest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he, re- he really likes Brenda, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's a really, his, his behaviour is totally inappropriate for the whole film. Like, his, um, somebody needs to have a word with him, honestly. Do <laughs> <laughs> you think it's Steve? No, Ned, the, the the one who's rolling around all the time and he's yeah, he's just trying it on with everybody, really, you know, yeah. <laughs> threatening them with arrows. Yeah. Oh yes, that is Ned. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd like to talk about um, <laughs> Steve. Is it Steve? Yeah, Steve Christie. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Fucking sleazebag. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, definitely there needs to be an intervention there too. <laughs> what are you saying, D? Uh, what's the crack with that? Do you know the way uh, your woman Alice uh, does a drawing of him? Yeah. yeah. He says, yeah. "Does I really look like that?" And she says, "Oh, you did last night." Yeah. Is that supposed to imply that they have a relationship? Yeah. They, yeah. they definitely did because he like ruffles her hair. Yeah. Um, it never comes up again later, but. You can't not that if you if you watch that scene like it's it's clear that there was some and then she talks about how she she was going to leave to go to California to straighten something out. <laughs> she says she says that like a fifteen-year-old trapped inside a seventeen-year-old's body. <laughs> but 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 there's definitely something there. there what, what we really noticed watching it is if you if you if you watch it as if you're watching it for the first time without any kind of without hindsight and without any awareness of Jason or whatever, Steve is very clearly, it's a whodunit, essentially. And Steve is the killer. Until about an hour into the film, you're sure, or the, the film wants you to think that it's Steve. Because yeah. he has exactly the same truck as um, Jason's mother. When, when, when Jason's mother picks up Annie, mm-hmm. it's the same truck, except... Uh, the, the top is down. Yeah, so Steve he, he leaves. Uh, he leaves the camp in in the truck with the top down, mm-hmm. and then the next scene, or a couple, maybe a few minutes later, is the exact same truck with the top up, picking mm-hmm. up Annie, and then driving straight past the camp and murdering her. So, and all of his creep behavior. Yeah. All. <laughs> if you were if you were approaching it from a completely fresh angle, and also without like slasher tropes and whatever, you would. You would think that uh, Steve is the killer. It's clearly what they were trying to do. I wonder, will anybody ever watch it and pick that up anymore? Because I mean, I, I imagine most people that come to it now will will already be sort of preloaded with yeah yeah the imagery of Friday the Thirteenth. You know, probably people will come to it and think Jason is a killer, but like uh, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it was, it was that, that. I mean, when I when I first watched it, it the, like I I already knew the whole thing because we we watched. Um, I mean, that that shows you how kind of late on I watched it for the first time was we the first one I saw was Jason Goes to Hell, and as we were yeah. watching Jason Goes to Hell, basically my my brother was explaining the entire thing, the entire film to me, saying, "Oh, this is this is Jason Voorhees, and yeah. the first film is just his mother." And then I, th- I think we we actually learned that in Scream anyway. Yeah, Scream. One of the Drew Barrymore's character at the start. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I mean, when I when I came to it, I I knew the entire the entire story, and I'm assuming anyone now watching it would would know the entire story the whole way through. I mean, D, you you obviously yeah. knew. Oh yeah, definitely. I think uh, I I would be surprised if anybody didn't. Now you know, it's just well, you know what? I don't think that anybody under eighteen would have any awareness about it now. Mm. Unfortunately, guys, we're all getting old. <laughs> and true, I don't, true. I don't think that a seventeen-year-old is really going to know any more about Friday the Thirteenth than they would about Halloween or Psycho. I mean, I, I, unless. I don't think the remakes were successful enough and yeah. recent enough to attract a teenage audience. So you could probably show this film to a, a 16-year-old and um, they would hate you for it, but they wouldn't know who the killer is. Do you guys know any 16-year-olds? I, I, That's I, a dodgy I, question. I, it's, it's That's for a different podcast. Really, I've got nephews. I'd feel really bad. Like... I've already tried tried to indoctrinate them into good music and films, <laughs> so it might work against me if I try to show them yeah. on Friday the Thirteenth. The real nice you're fucking crap. You fucking lied, yes. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of one of those things that it's it's another thing it's another thing that you can kind of see the the American slasher film and taking from the from the Italian giallo films because I mean, particularly kind of Argento's early giallo films, the. Uh, the killer is often a woman, you know, and, and, and in Jello films, killers are are often women. And I suppose it's kind of, um, it's potentially one of those things where maybe in the 70s, because everyone was so sexist, that it was a it was a major twist to have the killer a woman. Oh my God, a fucking woman did the killing? Oh, what a twist. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Actually, I'd like to come back to that, because I've got something to ask you about that. But they, they was there, well, well, just when we're talking about people being surprised, but... Uh, the first time or people's first time watching it was there anything about your first time watching it there that actually surprised you about the plot or was it was it just uh, was it standard fare like we, we all came sort of pre uh, no I, I I knew about it anyway so I wasn't really surprised yeah. so I didn't even pick up uh, that you're supposed to think Steve Christie is the the killer the first time yeah so I, I think I unfairly uh the way I approached it was because I knew the story, like so. There was no surprises. Did you think that maybe Steve was going to come back and rescue Alice? Uh, I think I just thought he was going to die. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, which happens standard. Like, <laughs> yeah, Paul. What was it you called him? You called him like like something like the the, the king of the hipsters or something? The, the original hipster. Yeah, well, those we hundred percent. The shorts and the beard and the glasses and the beard, fucking wee the wee scarf. The hair, everything, yeah. Everything. He's actually and he should be fixing his bike. And he's actually <laughs> chopping wood at some stage as well. He's yeah. Yeah. He is, he's, he's, he's chopping wood at the start and, and I think that like Number sexual. Number sexual as it it kind of shows him shows him to be a complete and utter arsehole, that scene, because he's chopping the wood and then these people who have just arrived and he's he's employing them. 
and they're and they're coming to help him set up the camp and run the camp for him and basically help his business. And the fir- I think the first thing he says to him is he kind of angrily shouts over, "Can you give me a hand with this?" Yeah. And then they all run over and then he um, tells them to you know help them push over the the, the uh, tree stump and and then o- only after they've helped him does he kind of introduce himself and then but then he's yeah. constantly kind of hurrying them and kind of constantly saying things like oh you know i don't want to get too far behind hurry up hurry up let's go come on and you just think like like yeah, if you if you just arrived and you were looking for looking forward to your summer you know you're a kid about to go to university this is your summer you're going to look after you're going to look after you know young children have a great summer and then like you're the first thing you the first guy you meet is this is this fucking prick he's your boss who just shouts orders at you yeah, pull, yeah. pull this tree stump out of the ground, you friggin' yeah. plan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was your first day at work. Pull the fuck yeah, I know. Oh, and he's, he's clearly already fucking the only girl there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. What a pest. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> is not only is he a pest, but he is not fussy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you're here, you'll do. <laughs> I know. I think he says to Sandy in the diner towards the end... Um, I've got six six counselors and they are babes in the woods and um, yeah, every sense of the word. I was like, what what is the age difference between you and those girls, mate? Because I think they're only like supposed to be what, like seventeen or something like that, you know. Yeah. yeah. What is your fucking problem, you know? <laughs> I love that scene. Him and the waitress in the diner. It is so weird. And you spotted at the end. Yeah, there's a there's a lovely little uh, if you watch that scene again where he's in the diner. And he's speaking to this indecipherable uh, waitress <laughs> behind the counter. But right at the end, she kind of puts her hand up, and it looks like she's she's going to give him a high five, but he just totally ignores her, puts his hand in his pocket, throws five bucks on the table, and walks off. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's Steve Christie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she kind of... Well, it's probably a joke, but she kind of hints at that. He says, how much do you owe you? And she says, uh, uh, just the night on the town, Steve. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Could you understand her? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we watched it two or three times this evening. We couldn't figure out what she was saying. <laughs> Drive careful. But yeah, that's the uh, the uh, Blairstown Diner. It's 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 still there in Blairstown in, in New Jersey where it was filmed, and you can kind of go and visit it. And apparently the, the people who own it and work there are kind of happy to to welcome Friday the 13th fans and, and kind of ah, talk to okay. them. It must be only a few left because um, I read um, Bill Bryson did a trip around the States and he talks about those diners and he said there aren't very, very yeah. many of them left. And that book was about 25 years yeah. ago. Yeah, it's very, it's <laughs> yeah. good. It's good it was, there was actually, there was a doc like BBC Four had a, like a diner documentary, I think, or diner night one night. And they had a documentary about diners, and then they showed uh, shit. What do you call that movie? Amer- it's not American Graffiti. Uh, um, is it maybe just called Diner or something? I don't know. No, it's not. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like kids, like high school kids who uh, maybe come back. Ah, oh, fuck it, I can't remember. But it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> you should check it out. <laughs> sure, they've got they've got Eddie, Eddie Rockets. Rockets. That's right. There's an Eddie Rockets. There's an Eddie Rockets opening in Belfast now. I heard. No way. Yeah. I remember going to Eddie Rockets when I was a kid, uh, when I was about three or uh, no, I was maybe about five or six, and uh, I was quite excited because it was it was in Dublin. I was with like my my mom's uh, cousin and her husband and her kid who was maybe about a year younger than me, and they um, <laughs> they had this. They told their kid that in Eddie Rockets there was a vampire who brains who comes around and like eats your brain <laughs> and then you have to watch out but I, don't, I don't know but I remember really distinctly remember like sitting in Eddie Rockets going like what 
I think so, but it it will become like a big. It will obviously become a running joke uh, with this family, and like they they had this the thing they like convinced their kid that this vampire eats brains coming around, but it wasn't like a bad thing. It was like you know just like you better watch out for the vampire eats your brains. Ha 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 ha! Holy shit! Why are that's, we eating? That's <laughs> a fucking pick up bringing right there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, that's yeah. Totally Make sure he eats his dinner. Then he should curly fries for the vampire city. But yeah, yeah. The, the there was a night. It was the night you guys were doing the. Um, Friday the 13th Marathon and uh, Crazy P and I were kind of watching I was watching the films in Bristol and Paul was watching them back in Belfast about about the same time I think maybe I was half an hour ahead but yeah. but uh, as we were watching them we were kind of both on Google Maps and we were looking for the for all the lo- film locations and, and you can see quite a lot of the stuff is still there so like uh, the, the archers Annie walks through in, at the start um, yeah they're exactly the same yeah they're still there they're exactly the same and the bridge is exactly the same uh, the diner is still there, and I think the um, the uh, Moravian cemetery that Annie gets dropped off by is still there. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of now become one of those things that I I kind of want to go to Blairstown, New Jersey, and and see all the things because um, the the actual camp is called Camp Camp Nubabusco, uh, and apparently they have like loads of memorabilia. It's, it's still a functioning camp, so there's there's kids who yeah. go there every every summer. But um, yeah, like the camp's still there, and uh, it'd be brilliant. It'd be brilliant to do a to do a road trip and and, uh, and go to Blairstown, New Jersey, and see, you know, kind of scoop out all uh, Friday the Thirteenth locations. You can actually yeah. look up trip advice. It's a working camp. You can look up trip advisor reviews on it, and uh, some some kids are like, oh, I, I, this this camp shit. Uh, they kept making me do stuff, and I didn't want to like they made me like do activities, and I just wanted to sit at home, sit in my bed all day and stuff. Well, and, the uh, it's it's weird. It's, it's like a working camp, and people review it. So it's, the chief counselor kept begging me to do uh, pencil drawings of them all. As a funny prank, one of us should turn up there in the early summer and murder all the <laughs> one by one. Ah, it's like films, you get it. And threw their bodies through the window. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, actually, Ian, you were talking about the Italian influence. Yeah. And you were, I, I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, but you wrote an, an article uh, about Bay of Blood in yeah. its comparison to Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. That, uh, what's all that about now? Um, well, have, have, have any of you guys seen Mario, Mario Baba's Bay of Blood? No, don't think so. Okay, well, yeah, so... Uh, it's it's kind of one of those films where if you if you watch Bay of Blood, um, and you're a big Friday the Thirteenth fan, you you'll kind of come away a bit disappointed because you'll suddenly realise that Friday the Thirteenth isn't actually as original as you had thought it was, um, and uh, yeah, so 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 Bay of Blood um, is uh, a film. It's kind of based around this this the the uh, titular bay and there are basically be like 13 or 14 characters and each one of them thinks that they own th- that they are entitled to the inheritance like to inherit the bay so they all start killing each other off one by one so um there are lots of kind of different narrative threads that make up the whole of the film but what but one of the narrative threads is a group of teenagers who are in a car and they they travel to this abandoned house and they all start um, doing the usual stuff like drinking and, you know, having sex. And then they all end up kind of getting killed um, by this unseen killer. Um, but 
uh, at the start of Friday the 13th, all, all those kind of like shots that are kind of going through the leafy foliage and the kind of, you know, the, the uh, glistening of the water by the lake and, and even the soundtrack, it's all just, if you watch Bay of Blood, you'll just see it's 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 all just obviously heavily, heavily influenced Friday the 13th. Um, for example, there's the scene where um, uh, Friday the 13th Part 2 when the when the two um, when the couple are on the bed having sex and then uh, Jason comes in and puts the spear through the both bodies, do you remember that scene? Yeah. Comes yeah. at the bottom of the bed. That's lifted directly from Bay, <laughs> Bay of Blood. And there's a right. scene dur- during that that wee narrative thread in Bay of Blood. Um, one of the characters opens the door and the killer just uh, embeds a machete in his face, uh, right. and it's just exactly like um, you know those kind of famous machete yeah. kills that you get in the Friday Thirteenth films. Um, but but interestingly. Um, it's uh, it's something that uh, Wes Craven and Sean S. Cunningham both denied. Like they both deny any direct influence on the film. They say that like they were fans of Bava and they loved Bava's work, but that Bay of Blood in no way was a direct influence on Friday the Thirteenth. I mean, like one of the characters, Helga in Bay of Blood, she like she she goes off by herself, strips, goes skinny dipping, and then gets killed. I mean, that's fucking Friday the Thirteenth. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's one of those. It's one of those things where you just think, "How is that not influenced? You know, how, how was that not a direct influence to the point where you almost don't believe them?" Um, but yeah, I think Bay of Blood was like nineteen seventy four or something like that. Um, it's kind of one of Baba's later kind of giallo films, but it's it's kind of regarded as as the precursor to the you know to the slasher film. So, yeah, yeah. It was very difficult to say that something isn't a, um, an influence at all if you've seen it. it, it there's every possibility that it is, even though you might not have been conscious, consciously thinking about yeah. it. So perhaps they were just worried about the uh, copyright. Um, maybe somebody coming along and saying, "Oh, actually, you've stolen our ideas and give us some money." Like some of this wadge, this massive wadge of money that your your film franchise has generated. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because um, Friday the Thirteenth was, you know, was a was a money spinner because um, they made ten films or eleven films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Craven and Sean, Sean Cunningham had had kind of worked together on uh, Last House on the Left in 1972, and Last House was was a uh, is a Wes Craven film. But um, what did Sean Cunningham do in Last House on the Left? Oh, he's just kind of like an associate producer, I think, because, because uh, probably uncredited, but they were both friends, and like Wes Craven was kind of about when they were filming Friday the Thirteenth, um, <clears throat> uh, and so. Um, so after uh, Last House, uh, Sean Cunningham made like two two kind of family comedy films, uh, Manny's Orphans and Here Come the Tigers, mm-hmm. um, but they weren't re- but they didn't really do that well. So I think as a money spinner, he basically wanted to create a horror film because of the success of Halloween. Victor, Victor Miller there's had your, there's your tiger reference. Well, yeah, there you go. There's a tiger reference thing. <laughs> Victor Miller had 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 written the screenplay for for one or both of those films and so Sean Cunningham asked him to write the screen for, screenplay for Friday the 13th but the the interesting thing about it is that the 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 film actually started by um I can't remember who it was that came up with the, the title Friday the 13th but the film just basically began with um Sean Cunningham taking out an ad, an, ad, an advert in a, a national newspaper and it just basically said that you know the 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 most horrifying picture ever made Friday the 13th and this was before he even had a plot, a screenplay, anything. He didn't even know what the film was going to be about. He just thought that Friday the 13th was a cool name for a title. And that that advert enough 
uh, alone was enough for um, <clears throat> financiers and, and studios to kind of get interested and then he kind of got the money and then he commissioned Victor Miller to write the screenplay and then he was able to get kind of Tom Savini in and all these different actors yeah. to, to make the film. So it is one of those films that just, um, it's it's not as if it was like a labour of love. He kind of, he, he wanted to make money and he knew that the horror film was yeah. was was becoming was becoming big again that's that's that stands out massively like it, it does when you watch it now it does feel like product and the fact that they were able to crank out a sequel every year or every year and a half over that period of time i'd love to see a graph of the um <laughs> of the budget for those films and what they made <laughs> yeah. like yeah. because yeah. the budget is pretty static like they're, they're probably like so those that film and those sequels probably had the budget of an episode of Columbo. And <laughs> they were going to cinemas and making yeah. God as well. They had no names in them. You didn't need a name. Yeah. You didn't need your killer could be any guy in a mask. Doesn't matter. Could be anybody. And that's I mean that's that's going to be if you have like a returning character like that's going to be you know their costs are going to go up until film successful. But they had nothing like that. They could literally make as they probably made as many films as they could in that space of time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I, I saw an uh, an interview with Romero where, um, he basically said that yeah, Night of the Living Dead was just about making money. That's all he wanted to do. Yeah, but yeah. he also made a good film. Yeah. That's yeah. The difference. Yeah. He also used like craft, and he was he did something different, yeah. and he was he was interested in um creating something which worked as an allegory for the times yeah um, having a having a black man as a lead in 1968 alone is like really really interesting and yeah. Unique. Yeah. um i don't think friday the 13th could ever you could never say anything like that about it yeah it was very much um very much a kind of uh like what's i'm trying to think of like a really um like a like an X Factor band. <laughs> I, I would all say of bits of other people's work, you know. Yeah, and then, and there's a new one every year. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you can arguably compare it to Paranormal Activity today. It essentially is a money spinner now, and it's made on such a low budget. Yeah. I would imagine. Uh, sorry, Friday the Thirteenth was similar because the budgets weren't massive, and the name alone was enough to get people the you know go to the cinema or buy the DVDs or whatever or the yeah. the VHSs at the time because I think there was a lot of slasher films that made a lot of money just out of the based on how popular those previous films were wasn't there and oh definitely yeah, there was a massive boom I mean the slasher yeah. film was just yeah. everyone was doing one because it was just so expand so cheap to do you know yeah. all you had to do was find a holiday that hadn't covered whether it's Christmas <laughs> or Halloween or Friday the 13th, or April Fool's Day, or Mother's Day, or Valentine's Day, or Prom night. whatever, that, that's it. You've got you've got your film. You don't need a film, you just need a title. Mm. And there... they, when, when they realised nobody had made a film called Friday the 13th, they were, that's why they put that ad out. They were like, shit, we have to have that name. Before anybody <laughs> I else there, that, I mean, this is kind of going off track a little bit, but uh, I wonder, are there like... Uh, Passover is there like a sub sub genre for like Passover uh or Jewish <laughs> holiday films or like Muslim holiday films? Like the Angel Death. Yeah. Maybe yeah, I've I've maybe. heard I've heard a lot of good things about uh, about Iranian horror, so maybe. Iranian horror like uh Grubbugs on the Lone at Night. 
yeah is is superb like but i i think it's it's sort of iranian anglo-american okay but uh but d like like do you think there's actually anything wrong with with a film's prime primary objective being to make money uh not necessarily i guess i mean if romero said that as well then you know you can say there's definitely some artistic merit in it it's not i don't think friday the 13th is completely without artistic merits uh, for the most part it's not great like but uh but certainly tom savini's <clears throat> effects i mean you know that's an example of something good in it i guess yeah but i think there, there definitely is an argument there for it being like even with the halloween influence i think there's an argument there for it being just cashing in you know, on a previous series. Yeah. Like Bad Blood, as you mentioned too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put this out, out there and see what you guys think. But for me, Friday the 13th is, is verging on flawless. <laughs> you know, I'm, from your opening I'm gonna, game, I thought you were going to say something along those lines. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to totally agree with you there, but I'm going to, I'm going to side towards you there because I, I, I think I think to judge Friday the thirteenth with your normal sort of uh your normal sort of critical tools is unfair because it's not meant to be judged for that. It's it's a commercial movie and it's 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 about I don't know, it, it's about having like really dark fun, you know, and it's it's not it's the equi- it's the equivalent of like the sex pistols of, of movies, you know, like uh, really badly thrown together really uh terribly produced and you know look fucking ridiculous but but actually it's you know i, th- I think it's it's quite an important thing and it's uh i think it's got it's had a, a huge amount of influence and it has it demands to be taken on its own terms you know you can't you can't not take it on its own terms if you're going to take it like if you're going to judge it in the same like way you would judge say fucking like the dodgy beta or something then <laughs> <laughs> you're you're just you're just wasting your time, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think I, I'm I'm with you, Ian. I think I think it's it it is what it's meant to be, and it it it's almost almost exactly what it's meant to be. But the acting and the editing does let it down. <laughs> uh, but yeah, editing and acting is fucking terrible. I I have to say I I don't really get the acting thing. I, I really don't. I, I I don't really see. I don't genuinely don't see why you guys think the acting is that bad. I mean, maybe it's, not, it's, it's, not, it's the script as well. Yeah. Um, the actors, the actors often feel like they're like reading lines off a page that they've mm. memorized, which is or speaking lines off a page that they've memorized. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like some of the lines are so clunky. Um, but just the bit. Where Kevin Bacon and is it Annie are out at the not Annie Marcy um, Marcy are out at the lake mm-hmm. and, uh, and they're kind of canoodling and running around or whatever and they're talking about the thunderstorm coming down this non-existent valley. I know right? what you're going to say. Yeah. So then, um, <laughs> <laughs> we were just it earlier, and Dom says, "Hang on a minute, that wasn't her voice." So we rewind it a little bit, and while Marcy is off screen. They've chopped in a bit of Brenda's dialogue, like it's clearly Brenda's voice that's put in uh, about her complaining about not liking lightning or whatever. So uh, Marcy's off screen, Brenda's voice is just plunked in there and then it turns around to Marcy again and she starts speaking. 
It's like oh, oh I yeah. didn't, didn't notice that. Yeah, like, yeah when yeah. Like, to me, it is glaring. Like once you see it, like it is really, really <laughs> jarring uh, to the ear. But I mean, I don't like. I we have been slating it uh, for the last couple of weeks. Although we have watched it twice in the last month, and I've watched it probably about ten times in my life. So, as much as I might have said that it's a terrible film, um, there's still a lot. There's still a lot that draws me back to it. Yeah, I I, I thought you were you were going to say during that scene, um, Kevin Bacon's line is just it makes me cringe every time. I didn't uh, want to. Whoa, whoa it, it's going to storm. Could tear yeah. in that valley like a son of a gun. Yeah, and then they show you the valley, and it's like a single mountain, like a little hill in the distance. There, there isn't even another mountain, right? He's got, he's got double vision. Yeah, maybe he's talking about a, a valley that spans the Atlantic Ocean. I don't know. You know, whenever I whenever I watch it and I see Kevin Bacon, I always think, uh, well, yeah, Kevin. You can definitely see Kevin Bacon is the like is the best actor in this uh, by far, you know. But at the same time. I actually afterwards I can't remember a single thing Kevin Bacon's done other than die. Like that's that's it. I, I can't remember yeah. anything, any scene with Kevin Bacon at all uh, until until like I'm reminded about him. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think maybe I mean maybe one of, maybe one of the best we kind of bits is uh, Marcy's um, blood dream. You know, where she uh, talks about the about the rain and turning into blood. Yeah. I, I think that's quite good, and I, I think she, she it, it's probably on script. That's probably yeah. quite a. That's quite probably quite a long piece of dialogue. So she, I, I I can imagine the the, the actress um, Janine, someone I can't remember her name, Taylor. Um, Taylor. I can imagine I can imagine her probably probably kind of relishing that uh, that uh, that kind of piece of dialogue, and it it obviously again it kind of we were talking about foreshadowing. It kind of foreshadows, you know. All, yeah. all, all their deaths essentially, but um, yeah, I've, I've actually got a clip of uh, of Marcy doing her wee uh, her wee blood thing, so we'll we'll listen to that and have a have a break. Yes, yes. I've been afraid of storms ever since I was a little kid. No, really? <laughs> yeah, I've had this dream about five or six times where I'm in a thunderstorm, mm -hmm. and it's raining really hard. It sounds like pebbles when it hits the ground. I can hear it. I try to block out the sound with my hands, only it doesn't work. It just keeps getting louder and louder. And the rain turns to blood. And the blood washes away in little rivers. And the sound stops. <laughs> it's just a dream. Yeah, I call it my shower dream. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so w w one of the things we haven't talked about yet is Crazy Ralph. Yay, Crazy Ralph! <laughs> Legend. I think we can all get behind Ralph. Best, <laughs> most convincing character. No, D. Yeah. There, there, there is a quote from Crazy Ralph uh, on the it, on the liner notes of Propagandi's fourth album, Potemkin City Limits. Remember? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Like, like they have all these different quotes from different philosophers, and then one of the quotes is just. Is it just you're doomed? Uh, it's just you're, uh, you're all doomed, Crazy oh, Ralph. No, I, think I, I do remember. That, actually. I don't, I don't um, think I knew who that was at the time, actually. Yeah, because I think I actually remember you asking me. You kind of said, "Oh, have you seen Friday the Thirteenth? Who, who's Crazy Ralph?" Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but it, it obviously kind of what you know, classic propaganda. Like they're kind of 
taking that on board and kind of saying, you know, the world is absolutely fucked. Um, but 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 Ralph is kind of one of those. Cl- I mean, it, it's kind of another one of those things. Where you think? I wonder how many how many har- harbinger of dooms there were in, in horror before Crazy Ralph. Um, I'm I'm sure he wasn't the first, but but he is one of those one of those one of those people. And those people are in in horror films are mostly characterized by how unspecific they are yeah. Re- yeah. regarding yeah. the potential threat. It's just um, God, sent, God sent me, and uh, yeah. I have to tell you that you're going to die. I mean, that's a, that's a standard character in um, kind of folk ghost stories and that kind of thing, where there is somebody who knows, yeah, but nobody really knows why. But they they're frightened by his knowledge, perhaps, and just dismiss him as uh, some kind of kook. It's yeah. a very it's a very um, easy way to ramp up tension in a film instead of actually using. Instead of working with you, what 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 you've got to ramp up tension, you have a character walk on stage and say, "You're all doomed." You're a death curse. So everybody's scared. So it's it's kind of it's it's an easy way to do that. But yeah, and I mean, like it's Shakespeare very, did it, it well. It's very charming. Mm. You know, uh, like Shakespeare did the same thing, like in Macbeth, you have the the weird sisters. Uh, yeah, pretty sure, pretty sure Sophocles did it as well. Uh, pretty sure something like that. In, and uh, it's like a chorus. That's, what you call them. That's right. Someone, someone tells Oedipus that that he's going to kill his father and have sex with his mother. But yeah, that's, I, the, that's oracle, the yeah. That's what right. Was I think they're called the Oracle, isn't it? Doesn't he go to? Yes, the, the Oracle. oracle the Oracle. Uh, Thieves, isn't it? Yeah. Delphi. Delphi. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but I mean, Crazy kind of a cool character. Um, and and fit as well. What? <laughs> Fit. Because it, it, it's, it's 20 miles from the town, the Crystal Lake, and he cycles that there and back. We know he, we know he cycled there because his bike is outside, and we know he cycled all the way back because he appears in the second film. Yeah. Right. Uh, he's a bit, of a, a bit of a hipster as well because that's a fixed gear bike that he's Yeah, and as we have. 40 miles yeah. on a fixie. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm drunk. I'm drunk. <laughs> guy's a legend. I want to see a crazy Ralph prequel. <laughs> there, should, there should be a, a film with with all these oracles together. <laughs> yeah. See where that gets them. <laughs> it's like it's just like the, the, there's isn't there a joke or an anecdote about two guys in an asylum who both claim they're Jesus? Don't know. And it's the way they try to figure out who's telling the truth and who's not. Um. There is. It's in a film, I think, no. <laughs> or maybe actually, maybe you to- you told me it. I can't remember, but uh, yeah, I, I think I've heard that. But yeah, like uh, like I wonder who, like I wonder who Crazy Ralph is because if you look if you look at the timeline of the film, um, the two, the two um characters at the start, Barry and Claudette, the two the two kind of camp counselors at the start, they are killed, and that's nineteen fifty eight, mm. and um. Then uh, we we later learn from from Mrs. Voorhees that Jason drowned the year before, and then I think it's like 1962 that uh, she poisons the water when they try and open the camp again, mm-hmm. and then the film s- takes place in the current in the present day, which would have been 1980. Um, so I mean, you would say that Ra- Crazy Ralph in Friday the Thirteenth is probably in his late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. I'd say he's older than he looks. I'd yeah. say late fifties. Mm. So whenever, whenever the 
whenever Jason whenever Jason drowned, he would have been kind of like forty, you know, maybe maybe in his in his forties, and then he's kind of seen all all the different things happen. So, you know, like I wonder, you know, like is there some kind of cool backstory there that that, that they could kind of tap into uh, and kind of yeah. flesh out the character? You know what? I'm very surprised that they never in any of the sequels um, shot a scene never mind make a film that was set in 1958 where they explored the backstory. I mean, they did it with the Halloween films and they did it with the Nightmare on Elm Street films, but it would have been quite interesting to have a Friday the 13th film that was set in 1958. That would be yeah. freaking cool. Yeah. Maybe just after Jason's, or around the time of Jason's death, you know, seeing what actually happened then. Yeah. Yeah. But one of my favourite things of the the Nightmare series was was that actually it must have been the ooh, I don't know the fifth or sixth sixth you one get, sixth you get uh, Freddy's backstory yeah. and uh, it, I mean the series had very much died by that point I, I remember watching a, a marathon with uh, with you guys actually and uh, <laughs> it, um, it, it I I was I was about about to fall asleep. Yeah, um, and this is like six o'clock in the evening. Nightmare now. Don't say a bad thing. No, the sixth, the sixth film is horrible. <laughs> but but then that, that comes along and it totally redeems it, and it actually picked me up for the rest of the series. So I, it, it could have been nice. It could have worked. But uh, I suppose they, they probably weren't into actually even exploring like the sort of intellectual sort of uh, um, sort of places that it could go. They were probably just just up for. Slaughterfest, you know. So. Well, wait, is it, is it worth, is Sean Cunningham still alive? Yeah. I think he is. Is it, is it worth sending him a Facebook message about Friday the 12th? <laughs> 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 we'll get a killer premise here, Sean, do you want it? <laughs> Thursday's or Wednesday the 11th. <laughs> <laughs> They're moving for in between. <laughs> That's a trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> um... But yeah, D, have you seen Friday the 13th Part 2? No, actually, I haven't seen any of the sequels. Oh, no, actually, that's a lie. I've seen uh, Jason Goes to Hell. Okay. I think that was actually well, the first one I saw, weirdly, as well. Spoiler and alert. It's pretty terrible. Ralph. <laughs> cra- uh, crazy Ralph gets killed in Friday the 13th Part 2. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> he has a brief good. appearance, and then he gets strangled with barbed wire, I think. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, a good way to go, though. It's a good way to go. But it is also one of those things where it's like, well, if if everyone who's in the camp is so doomed, why why are you fucking constantly hanging around? <laughs> because God keeps telling him to go. Oh yeah, God keeps telling him to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why does he hang about in the cupboards? That's what I don't. I know. What was he doing in the cupboard? He was just he was just waiting for the, for Alice to open the door so he could do that. You know, have his kind of grand entrance. <laughs> I'd say it was probably like, having a bit of a to be honest. You know, like yeah. he's a moonshine kind of guy. I think he was looking for something. <laughs> I'm a messenger of God. <laughs> I've come to warn you. He's, he's, he's kind of got almost like this, almost like a bit of a Scottish tint to his. Uh, <laughs> you're doomed if you stay. Go. <laughs> Go. Um, the like I I know you guys. You guys only watched number eight, and do you see number nine? Is that uh, that's Jason Is that number nine? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think so. Uh, number ten. I mean, I, I know we're we're not really talking about the series tonight, but uh, uh, you all seen number ten, Jason X. Yeah. Was a space. 
fucking terrible. Like it's ridiculous. But there's there's one moment in it which is is absolutely amazing, and it's like it's a hollow deck, and um, uh, there are two campers, like two sexy, like uh, two sexy girl campers who are trying to seduce uh, seduce Jason, and they uh, say something, like, say like, oh, we're we're gonna. Uh, we're gonna get drunk and have premarital sex. Uh, we just love getting drunk and have premarital sex. And, and it cuts away to another scene, and cuts back to Jason, and he's got one of them in a sleeping bag, and he's beating her around the tree. <laughs> uh, I think maybe beating the other one uh, around the tree, and uh, it's yeah, it, that's it's a joke, but it, it's it's the only only redeeming thing about that film. It's the only thing in the film that's actually even worth like. Open your eyes for like. See, that's a funny thing because it takes. I know we're not talking about the series, but it takes a very long time for Friday the Thirteenth series to have a sense of humor. It doesn't really happen until eight. Mm. Like two and three are part basically six. the same. Six. Uh, is that Manhattan? No, no. Part, uh, part six is uh, just kind of back at back at the camp. It's uh, it's it's the uh, it's the kind of it's the one after five where you know because the uh, Tommy Jarvis, you know because like uh, p- part five obviously has the kind of Tommy Jarvis thing and it isn't Jason isn't the real killer and then part six starts the Tommy Jarvis again story again but without but kind of ignoring part five so it has so it has like the, the uh, paintball scene whenever like the guy fires the paintball at Jason's chest and he looks down and looks back up yeah. as if to say bad idea you know all that kind of stuff is that there's like a halfway house for um, mental patients or something like that is uh, is that it? That's, is that part that's, five? that's part five. Yeah, and then part six kind of. I remember the paintball scene, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're Corey right. Feldman, I mean... <laughs> three and four, are they? Yeah. Huh? The Corey Feldman years are three and four. Is that right? Uh, no, just four. Just just part four. four. And no, then is it, it... I think it's two. Is it not? He, he appeared in the next one, and he had his head shaved, and he was. In a in like an asylum, uh, he's yeah. he's got he's got a brief appearance at the start of part five, and the, uh, but it's just a flashback because Tommy Jarvis Tommy Jarvis is now like he's like a grown man, he's like twenty five. Yeah. yeah, but still, I think maybe they they really play on the fact that he's in it though. Um, in in the fifth one, even though he's not really in it, I think I remember like yeah. Uh, they they're really making a big deal about Corey. I bet you it's just after Stand by Me or something. Yeah, yeah, probably. Well, I mean, like the, the... stars down by me. <laughs> <laughs> they do the same with uh, Betsy Palmer in Friday the Thirteenth. You know, yeah. uh, she was obviously an, an established actor, so um, I think like her, her, it's her first name. Or her, her name comes up first in the credits, even though she only appears, you know, at the very, very end, and she doesn't ever really have a very uh, large part. Apparently, she she kind of hated it when she read the script. But I know, I mean, she, she passed away recently, um, but I know that uh, in her later years, she definitely uh, loved the, 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 whole, the whole Friday the 13th thing. But I, I think at the, like when she first read the script, she told her, her, told her agent that it was a piece of shit. And um, um, who are those two American film critics that we're always slagging off? Uh, Siskel and uh, Ebert. E- e- yeah, 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 Siskel and Ebert. One one of them was so offended that an established actor like Betsy Palmer appeared in Friday the Thirteenth that he gave away her he published her PO box address and said to everyone fill Betsy Palmer's PO box with hate mail, telling telling her how much she hated Friday the Thirteenth and how she shouldn't have made this film. That was what a di- um, what a dick. He, <laughs> he also gave away the ending in one of his reviews. 
Did he? Yeah, just because he hated it so much and he wanted to put people <laughs> off going to see it. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. like, <laughs> but that was what a complete prick. <laughs> he, uh, apparently, yeah, he, he got the wrong address that time. Uh... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he didn't even get the right address. <laughs> you clearly didn't know she had a mortgage. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, because we were kind of talking about about performances. What 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 about Betsy Palmer's performance? I, I think I think she does the kind of unhinged psycho quite well, especially the, the yeah. bits where the bits where she's kind of talking for Jason and kind of going kill her, mommy, kill her. I think I think she's quite good. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Uh, I, I like I like the scene in the cave at the end where is it um, Alice or Marcy or which of the girls. Um, lifts up. Uh, no way, I'm getting confused. You're thinking of the second one. I'm thinking right? of the second one. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, I'm getting completely confused. <laughs> Day, what did you think of Betsy Palmer's uh, performance? <laughs> I, I don't think I was convinced as the rest of you. <laughs> I, no? I, I actually kind of remember laughing a bit when she was doing the talking for uh, Jason. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was pretty bad, to be honest. But I, I, did, uh, I did read up on her research for the role, though. <laughs> Which I'm surprised she actually did any based on her performance. Oh yeah, uh, she uh, wanted to channel the uh, uh, well, what I think she described as the, the a particular approach to methodology of acting, which is a bit much for something like Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, she wanted to get well, into the mind of Jason's mother and all this, and uh, right. I guess some people thought she did a decent job, like, but wasn't wasn't convinced myself. <laughs> I think she did a good job. The, there's a brilliant bit, and I don't know, I don't know if it, how intentional it is, but <clears throat> there, there's this line that she has, and it's whenever it, it kind of cuts to the 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 flashback of Jason as a kid drowning, and when she's kind of she's about to kind of start har- about chasing Alice about the place, um, and uh, Jason is saying, "Help me, mummy! Help me, mummy!" And then she says, "I am Jason." Ah. And ah. it's not clear whether she's saying, "I am, comma." Jason or, yeah, or I am Jason. 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 I fucking love that, and, and I wonder is that was that intentional? Like, because she's obviously a trained actor. Did, mm-hmm. she, did she read that line and go fuck? You know, like I could, I could yeah. give this 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 kind of subtext. But yeah. uh, I like that line. But it, it, it's it's kind of <clears throat> again, it's it's kind of um, the film kind of breaks down once once she kind of reveals herself i think because because up until that point um i i certainly when i first saw it it definitely did have that um we we don't know who the killer is the killer could be anyone and it come and the killer comes from nowhere and can't be stopped and if the killer wants you dead that's you absolutely fucked but then it's but then as soon as she appears on screen suddenly she's she's kind of surmountable and alice can quite easily you know, kind of push her about, and um, whenever she finally yeah. grabs Alice, she doesn't yeah. even try and strangle her. She just starts slapping her about, yeah. and then you know, <laughs> Alice is obviously a young woman, so she's got the strength to kind of overpower her, basically. I and, think there's two problems um, with it there, like, um, like for example, that's a bit ropey, but the whole <laughs> film is like at the end of the day, it's also a whodunit, and usually yeah. with whodunits, the other uh, person who is the killer is usually present on the screen at some point. You know, and we're led in the direction to think that it's uh, forgotten his name now. Steve. Yeah, Steve. Steve. Whereas uh, Mrs. Voorhees just isn't ever present. 
Yeah, I that's it. Yeah, I was just about to bring that up. Like the kind of, yeah. uh, it's not a juxtaposition, really. It's more like a slap in the face as a viewer. Like mm. you've been played along. Um, like as I was questioning earlier, um, about the opening scene. Um, I said like, yes, like two kids get murdered, and it's like, oh, okay, but why have they got murdered? And then they're like, oh, well, maybe it's just a killer on the loose. But then of course it turns out that there's this kid had drowned, and it's all revealed in the last. 15 minutes or whatever and you're like well what was what was the last hour and 15 minutes about you know with this creepy bastard steve <laughs> that we've been following around and it, <laughs> the camera's been in the woods the whole time you're like it must be steve you know uh, and then it turns out that it's this young kid's mum who come out of absolutely nowhere at all you don't know her from adam it's like well yeah know. you need definitely need to watch it a couple of times to pick up on the exposition to actually know what the crack is yeah. with, with uh, her and Jason. Mm-hmm. How does Steve Chrissy die again? Uh, he he arrives and then um, uh, there's there's kind of a, a bit of a giveaway because as he's arriving, um, there's a, a torch shining in his face and he blocks out the light and he sees who it is and he goes, oh, hi, what mm-hmm. are you doing out in this mess? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then he yeah. gets stabbed in the, um, stabbed in the chest. And, 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 so recognizes yeah, her. yeah, exactly. It, it, it's it's at that point we go fucks. Okay, so it's someone who Steve Christie knows. It's it's not like yeah. just some randomer. It's it's actually there's something there's something going on here. You know, it's someone someone who Steve Christie considered a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? Maybe Christie Christ. <laughs> Maybe there's something here because as viewers we persecute him, thinking that he's the killer. But then it turns out that he's not the killer, but it's somebody who he knows, i.e. Judas, somebody close to him, <laughs> who literally, Brutus style, stabs him in the chest. Shit, so Steve Christie's... Cr- and his name's Christie? Christ? Yeah, Christie? Uh, Christ? Yeah, that's not a question. Maybe Jesus' first name was actually Steve. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Christ. I, I, smell, Jesus. I smell a Wikipedia edit coming on here. Um... But yeah, uh, so we're we're talking about Betsy Palmer and her acting, and I've, I've actually got a clip uh, I of, think of... Else about her performance. Yeah, there, I don't know if it was her, but there's one of the scenes where the second girl who's wearing the yellow raincoat, uh, where she's washing herself up, and she hears um, Betsy Palmer cry like a little child out of the woods. Brenda, is it? Is it? Yeah, Brenda with with the green mac. Yes. And she 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 hears her going, my, my, but it's kind of echoey and it's coming through the rain and the trees. I really like that. Mm, we yeah. were saying earlier, it kind of reminds me of the Blair Witch Project. There's nothing mm. there's nothing creepier than the sound of children <laughs> yeah. crying in the distance. <laughs> their their voices carried on the wind through the trees. I know, and. I- the sound in that scene is really cool. It's actually really creepy. And and, and it's class. It's it's classic slasher logic because. If I heard, um, oh, maybe this says a lot about me. But if I, like, if I heard a, a, like that voice, even though it's saying "Help me, help me," the first thing I would do would be to fucking run and find everyone else and go, "Holy shit!" There's this really creepy sound. Would you guys come with me? But she goes out in her nighty. She doesn't even put her coat on. She goes oh, straight out in yeah. her nighty with you know typical kind of camp counselor mentality, just just with a torch in her nighty out in the pissing rain and a thunderstorm, looking for this disembodied child's voice that you know she hopes is uh, fuck jesus yeah you know that that actually sort of reminds me of something that happened when 
uh, Connor, we were in university and we watched this sort of unfold from your flat's window. There was this this weird guy who lived like sort of from your living room. You could sort of see down into his bedroom across the square. And uh, he lived with these girls and he was, he was kind of a quiet guy, but he was kind of strange. But he uh, he sort of went out in the hall one day and started making all these like little yapping noises, like a dog that was injured. Okay. And girls <laughs> in the slack came out. Do you remember this? Girls no. in the slack came out and uh, and uh, to investigate what was happening. And he was standing there with what they thought was a gun, uh, a real gun. It was a, it was like a fucking BB gun or something. And he shot them with a BB gun. And he obviously got kicked out of university for a year or something. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, they were like, they were all fucking screaming and like, you know, nuts. and then the cops were there. We like watched the cops come and arrest him and all this shit. Yeah. Like, You're right. It, it it was mad. And then then we we lived uh, we lived in a house like uh, in the next town a year later and uh, uh, <laughs> our landlord said, "I'm bringing over a new a new housemate for you." And it turned out it was that guy, but he freaked out Orlando so much so in the car on the way over that he dropped him in the middle of nowhere, just said, get out of my car, and I dropped him in the middle of nowhere, and just drove drove to our house and said, I'm not letting that guy live with you, he's fucking nuts. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't know what he said to him, but he, uh, he, uh, he, he totally, like, I mean, it took seven minutes to get from where he picked him up to our house, and in that seven minutes, he managed to fucking... <laughs> Thank God, like, Jesus! Queer Did he throw him out in front of the cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, that, that's that sort of came out of nowhere, but that, that sort of uh, that's never mind. <laughs> well, um, <clears throat> I I need to pee again. I think I've broken the seal, so I'm going to go for a pee. And I think we should listen to a clip of Betsy Palmer going mental. That's, yeah, that's it. Nice. Jason was my son, and today is his birthday. Where's Mr. Christie? Oh, I couldn't let them open this place again. Could I? Not after what happened. Oh, my sweet, innocent Jason. My only child. You let him drown. You never paid any attention. Look what you did to him. Look what you did to him. Well, uh, yeah, okay, so so during that break, we were actually having a bit of a chat, and we kind of uh, it interrupted Dom just as, he, just as he was halfway through a thought. Uh, go for it, Dom. What were you going to say about Evil Dead? Well... Funny she said that. When we were watching it earlier on, I was just thinking how Evil Dead does a much better job of a horror film, Cabin in the Woods type scenario, which is essentially what this film is. Um, Evil Dead has the same kind of group of completely forgettable, dislikable teenagers, inverted commas, people in their 30s, acting like they're 17, which is with a terrible script. But it dispenses of those people in a much more imaginative, inventive, fiscal way. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I think that's yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think I think if you were kind of if you were to say to me if you came into the flat after the pub and you were to say to me, do you want to watch Evil Dead? Do you want to watch Friday the Thirteenth? I would think I would probably always say Friday the Thirteenth. But yeah, I definitely see what you're saying, and there's and there definitely is a lot more. Remy Remy manages to kind of do a lot more with with the uh, kind of with the POV stuff and with the forest stuff. You know, um, that that classic uh, Evil Dead fast-paced POV through through the through the forest. It's just yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, the camera was... Actually, sort of, yeah, you, you do get that in Freddy, but uh, but not, not in any anywhere near the same way. Like, Well, I'd say Friday the 13th had a bigger budget because yeah. it's definitely... It looks definitely... It was shot in 35mm. Mm. And Evil Dead 1 was shot in 16mm, like, with no budget whatsoever. But it's that classic thing of when you have very little budget, you work with what you have, and you also make your actors' lives hell by making them do shit that they would never want, never normally want to do. Yeah. And you can just yeah. tell by watching like Evil Dead, and if you read about it as well, that like nobody really enjoyed making that film, but that's because Sam Raimi had this vision that he was going to make no matter what the cost. In terms of like human cost rather than financial cost, whereas Friday the Thirteenth, you're talking about somebody who clearly had a lot of, well, at least a, enough financial backing to make a film that looked like a proper horror film, but not necessarily any sort of technical vision to make it look beautiful. Mm-hmm. I just googled the respective budgets there. Actually, uh, Friday the Thirteenth was made on twice the budget. Of Evil Dead, so it was three hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the Evil Dead, and yeah, seven hundred thousand for Friday the Thirteenth. Right. Which makes you kind of think that it doesn't look that much different either, in terms mm. of the effects mm. and stuff. It looks. It, de- it definitely like the first Evil Dead six is shot in sixteen millimeter, which gives it a charm. But um, <clears throat> on Blu-ray, it probably looks a bit shit. Well, I've never watched it. In, in certain scenes, especially the scene where you've got like a you've got like a sort of matte painting of the moon in the background, and you can <laughs> see like the, the straight lines around it. But you know, you forgive that sort of thing in uh, films of that time and in that in the context. I do think that uh, Friday Friday Thirteenth though has has a nicer feel to it, and it has a nicer um, well the special effects we've talked about, but I, I think I do think it has a nicer feel to it. I think them the the uh, kind of the uh, crew were obviously kind of um, really really into into what they were doing because because there's lots of really nice um, scene setting shots, kind of location shots. Like there's a yeah. there's a shot where like whenever, whenever the thunders the, the the storms kind of starting to come in you've got nice kind of shots of the foliage blowing in the wind and and the um and the wind kind of blowing over the uh over the uh, over the bay you know over the over the water and the boats kind of rocking and then and they've managed to capture like an otter in the river and things like that you know like they've obviously oh, yeah. kind of had fun it's almost, almost a bit like cannibal holocaust you know they've, they've kind of um they've kind of they've kind of shot nature unadulterated just and kind of spliced it together um yeah. So I, I, actually, the the snake as well reminded me of Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right because because we because we actually talked about that during the Cannibal Holocaust um, episode because um, there were from from memory there were there were two video nasties that 
got got in a lot of trouble, and it was because of the depiction of real life animal killings. One was Cannibal Holocaust, and the other was Jess Franco's Bloody Moon. And the reason that they got in trouble was because they actually showed animals being killed. And then in, in, in time, you know, the BBFC kind of said, well, there's actual animals being killed in Apocalypse Now, so, you know, we should probably be, be in an even playing field with all films and, 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 and eventually all but one of the animal killing scenes in Cannibal Holocaust has been restored and the animal killing scene in Bloody Moon has been restored. But the, in Bloody Moon, it, it, it is actually a, a snake being killed with a pair of garden shears. Um, yeah. And then Bill kills the snake in Friday the 13th and it is an actual snake. Yeah. Um, but I don't recall ever hearing that the BBFC ever had a problem with that. And you just wonder, is that just because it was a Paramount film? Because it was high budget? Because it was... They, they kind of saw something higher than, um, than than a film like Cannibal Holocaust or Bloody Moon? You know, you kind of think, is that just the BBFC being wankers? Maybe. Yeah. It's hard to tell, isn't it? Um, like, yeah. what, what is the history of Friday the 13th with the BBFC? Was there any controversy? Uh, well, it it came out in Warner Home Video uh, <laughs> during the Video Nasty area before the Video Recordings Act, um, but it wasn't ever picked up by the DPP or Scotland Yard or anything like that. It wasn't ever prosecuted or kind of not didn't even have a kind of a, like a you know like a Section Three prosecution or anything like that. But um, what's what's Section Three prosecution? Sorry. Well, there were kind of like two two different uh, sections under which the films were kind of prosecuted under the Obscene Publications Act, and Section Three was kind of the the lower one. Whereby, you know, like the uh, cops would basically just kind of take take it off you, um, right. and and maybe give, maybe give you a bit of a warning, and then section two you could have potentially been uh, fined or even risked, uh, you know, like a stint in prison. Yeah. Or um, limited into your your VCR and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. For example, I mean, uh, uh, David Ham- Hamilton Grant was a was a big. Um, video distributor back in the days and he distributed against the obviously against the uh, DPP and the BBFC's wishes he distributed an uncut version of Scavellini's Nightmares in a Damaged Brain and he ended up getting like 12, 12 months in prison for that Seriously? yeah fucking hell <laughs> what, what what like what, do like actual children die in a movie or something or no it, it's it, it's just basically um uh, the uh, DPP said you can only release the uh, BBFC certified vision, uh, s- a certified version right. on video, yeah. and then uh, Hamilton Grant released the the non BBFC certified version, so like the uncut version. And then when the cops found out, they they took it off him, and he, he <laughs> got uh, like eight, eighteen months reduced to twelve. Jesus, <laughs> lucky to be alive. Lucky to be alive. So he is. <laughs> Back. Prison's too good for him. <laughs> but yeah, so so the uh, like the whole animal cruelty thing. Obviously, BBFC didn't seem to have a problem with that. And MPAA mustn't have had a problem with 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 that with the with the fact that they actually killed a snake. And it's an interesting thing I kind of want to ask you guys about because it, it's not really something that's like necessary to the plot, and it doesn't linger on it. So they could have easily used the prop, couldn't they? I mean, like, is, oh, yeah. like, do you guys think it's a bit cruel to kind of kill a snake for the sake of a film? It's very, very jarring when you consider like mm. all the films you've seen. Certainly in my life, where um, I think I remember as a kid watching some western with uh, John Wayne or somebody else, where they drove a horse off a cliff and they filmed the horse and the horse actually they filmed the horse crash into the ground at the bottom. 
uh, and my dad said, "Oh, that's the last time that an animal was uh, was killed in the film." And I, I was like, "Oh God, thank God!" And that was like in nineteen sixty or fifty or something. Um, but there, obviously, there must have been some accidents since then. But that's quite clearly um, a snake. Well, as you say, maybe it just happened on the set, and they just chopped it up because it was a threat to them. But there was really no need to, to chop it up and film it. You could have just maybe scooped it into a bag and put it back out in the forest where it'll come from. It's not like yeah. <laughs> so not, there are actually there are people getting brutally murdered in inverted commas. Um, there was really no need to chop a, a snake into three or four pieces. For, yeah, for and I mean, like, actually, this, this, you know, we, we discussed this in Cannibal Holocaust, uh, and in Cannibal Holocaust, they, they do kill a number of animals, but the animals that they kill are always, they were, they were always animals that the, uh, the tribe, anybody remember the name of the tribe? Y- Yakumu? Yes, amazing. Uh, the Yakumu that actually, actually ate. Pop quiz. So, uh, these, these were animals that were going to be killed anyway. So they, they killed them on camera and then they fed, like they, they gave them to the cast, uh, the supporting cast, they gave them the Yakumu to, to eat. Uh, and in this case, I, well, they did make a joke about it, about it being dinner, <laughs> but I, I don't think they actually ate no. the snake. People do eat snake, obviously, but uh, I don't think these guys ate snake. Right? No, these these white city folk are not going to eat the snake that they've just chopped into three pieces. No, <laughs> they, they, don't, no. they don't need to eat the snake, you know. I mean, no. D, you were uh, you were a vegan for 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 a number of years. How did you, how how do you react to the to the news that uh, that uh, Sean S. S. Cunningham and Tom Savini killed a killed an animal? Uh, yeah, it's obviously it's not really on like for a film, uh, especially that it doesn't contribute in any way. I don't think there's an argument they could possibly use for it. Uh, yeah. Like, at what point does killing the snake contribute to that film at all? Uh, but. I don't know. Could the same argument be made for Cannibal Holocaust? Like, I think, like Paul, you were saying that the tribe were going to do that anyway. Yeah. It, was that the same with the? Was it a giant turtle they kill at some stage? I remember that part being particularly uh, uh, jarring. Maybe. That was. I'm sure horrible. you can hear Django in the, in the background here. He's <laughs> killed any fucking second. Now. Yeah. The uh, the uh, turtle scene in. Uh, the, yeah, uh, tur- the yeah, it's a big, it's a massive turtle that they kill in Cannibal Holocaust, and it's actually brutal watching it because they properly do film the entire thing, don't they? From killing it to chopping all its different parts off and disemboweling it. But then, yeah, apparently, like the the uh, the, the, the kind of cr- the, 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 I watched. what I don't think that was in the edit I watched at all. Uh, um, I, I watched a different edit from you guys, I think. Um, yeah, well, there was like a there was like a BBFC classification in like two thousand and three, I think, which was the first time it had been classified since it was banned, and that didn't contain any of the animal cruelty. And then the two thousand and eleven classification, they kind of reinterpreted the law and they allowed all but one of the of the yeah. animal killings. So right, maybe you watched the kind of. I think I watched the one without the turtle. Yeah, I, I do remember you talking about it, but I don't think I, I saw it. Yeah, but, but uh, I suppose yeah. it doesn't contribute artistically, which would be the main. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't think there is the snake. Uh, mm. I, I think that the the snake killing in the film actually does. It's 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 a scene that actually feels real because they kill like a real fucking snake in front of you. So <laughs> it heightens tension in that way that you feel that the threat is real because you see like real people kill an actual animal that they were scared of. 
it's probably got more of a natural feel than any of the other scenes like that because there's no other scene where everybody is together and they actually feel threatened. Mm. Anytime that they're stalked by the killer, they're on their own. Yeah. But that's a time when people are actually together and they feel scared. Yeah, I, yeah, actually, I, I, I would take that point, but I still don't think uh, that that snake had to be. Oh, well, ethically, you know, yes. It's like if they had made a better film, it, what you're saying is if they had made a better film, they could have let the snake live. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, they, they saw an opportunity and they took it. Yeah, and I actually salute them for that because yeah. I, I, I suppose that's that's the last act of of um, of power that they really that they really have as a group. Before that, like they, they all, all their powers robbed from them, and they're they're murdered. You know, yeah, I suppose yeah. like uh, that, that's that's them exerting power over something else, whereas mm. that that's what is a, basically about to happen to them. So yeah. I, I suppose in a way it could be argued that it does that in some sort of artistic part. Yeah, but then like in the end, it's a futile gesture anyway because the snake wasn't like it was not really of any harm to five people standing. Oh. No, but it's let's, sim- let's kill it. It's as symbolism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, However. The, the snake also represents the serpent, the Garden of Eden. And, <laughs> and, and Steve's yeah, garden? Yeah. Steve, Steve, Steve is Steve, garden. Steve Eve? Steve Eve? Adam and Steve? Yeah. In, in, in a better version of this film, that snake scene uh, would remain intact. The, uh, fuck, I was going to say something there. But I, I, I got distracted by Steve Eve. But... Uh, <laughs> Yes, Steve. Alan, Steve, Christy. Oh my God! There's fucking layers to this film that we didn't know about. They, uh, but uh, this film, like you say, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. But like that, that kill doesn't mean anything. But th- this film, like the the murders, don't really mean. This is a, a quite a nihilistic movie. I know it's a re- revenge movie, but I think like the Friday Thirteenth franchise is a very nihilistic franchise. I, I think it's it's. It, it very much feeds off the sort of like the uh, the idea of like uh, the, the, that that punk nihilism that happened like five years before it was made, uh, and I, I think it had I'd maybe sort of become a bit passe in like in wider culture by then. But like I, I think um, I, I said earlier, it was, it was sort of a post punk movie, but I don't think it is. I think post punk like embraced a lot of other uh, wider sort of like art, art, artistic. Um, uh, schools and like you know concepts and stuff, but the the nihilism of, the, of this movie I think is is probably closer to the actual like core of like proper punk, and I, I think this is yeah, this how, is a punk movie that happened five years after the time. You know? How do you What's balance that? that with everything we're saying about the film's kind of obvious commercial aspirations? Uh, well, okay, yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, that's that's. That's that's maybe that's probably where it, maybe where it falls short on that. Yeah, it, uh, maybe it's the it's 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 Blondie. Blondie weren't even weren't even uh weren't even uh cool enough to be actually Blondie were I, I fucking love Blondie. But, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, well it's Patty Smith then. Anyway, I I'm I'm sort of no Patty Smith never sold out. Patty Smith was. Patty Smith never sold out. Have we not established that 
he had a, a title in his head and he built the film around that. <laughs> I, mean, I, I find this like really impressive. I mean, most most series start off with a really good film and then they descend into shit sequels. Friday the 13th manages to just forget about the amazing first film and start off with the shit sequel <laughs> yeah. and then repeats it. I mean, sorry, in my view. Yeah. <laughs> Um, does actually does this even happen on a Friday? Does it? Is that actually explicit in the movie that it is Friday? Uh, yeah, no. I think it's a sick. No, uh, he he definitely realised that um, there was a there there was a fashion for um, holiday horror films and yeah. very cleverly yeah, yeah, yeah. that there yeah. was a gap with Friday the Thirteenth. No, it, it it does. I think as uh, as uh, Annie's walking across the bridge at the start, it says Friday the Thirteenth. Like June, June, Friday the thirteenth, present day, okay. something like that. Was there a Friday the thirteenth in nineteen eighty? Who knows? Well, oh, there probably was, yeah. But whether or not it was at <laughs> that time, who knows? But yeah, and it's it, it's also Jason's birthday, isn't it? The the uh, the day it happens. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's that's the other interesting thing about Friday the thirteenth. They're actually very common. Yeah. Which makes it yeah. sort of even more comical that people are superstitious about them. Yeah, I think we had. I think we've, we've got two two this year. I think we've, we've yeah, got. Yeah, like, I think there's at least three. I think in yeah. 2012 or 2013 we had three. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think, think we've got two, two or three this year. Yeah. Palindrome uh, days. Palindrome <laughs> days is something we're missing. We, we, yeah. we could we could get a, a real franchise out of palindrome days. <laughs> You know, Honestly, there, I, that's, that's <laughs> like, there's, there's a great parody series waiting to be written called either Saturday the 14th or Thursday the 12th. But, um, if, any, if anybody can be arsed making a film, there you go. Yeah, well, the uh, the uh, Omen remake, I think, was released on 666, wasn't it? Yes. yes. Oh, that was terrible. 6th of June, 2006. Oh, I went to see that in the cinema. Yeah. Um, so ask. we were talking there about Sorry, Dave, you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to ask. Have you guys seen the remake? Yeah. yeah. Is it the same like uh, in terms of the ending? As far as, uh, I, can, as, far as I can remember, it's shot for shot. So no, it's still actually, the mother? It's not. No, um, Betsy Palmer's in it, but I can't remember why. Um, oh, I, th- I think we were talking about the remake of The Omen. Oh, no, no. Sorry. You were talking about that. Friday the Thirteenth. Friday the Thirteenth. Oh no 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 no! It's uh, the one the one the one that was the most recent one is it's essentially just another Friday the Thirteenth film. Yeah, just Jason. Yeah, it's uh, it's Jason Voorhees in a hockey mask killing people, but but he does this annoying thing where he he captures the uh, the kind of main guy's sister and takes him back takes her back to a fucking lair, you know, like it's yeah, some yeah, fucking. Hostel oh. film or something. It's like if Jason Voorhees catches up with you, you're getting a machete in the fucking face. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> he's not gonna he's not gonna capture you and take you back to your lair and give you a chance to escape. If Jason Voorhees captures you, you're fucking dead, and and that's and that's where the film tripped up. <laughs> the only, the only person he's bringing back to his lair is 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 his mother. Yeah, <laughs> he finds his mother. That's his going back. And it'll be her severed head. So. Yeah. Um. Here, actually, guys, I need to take a quick time out. Sorry, I really got to piss. Yeah. Okay, well, sure. Um... <laughs> Paul, don't do it there. Go to the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> There's a litter tray behind me, actually, but that's uh, not going to help. We've got a clip of Crazy Ralph that we didn't listen to earlier uh, Earlier on, so we'll, we'll listen to that. Crazy yeah. Ralph. Hey, 
messenger of God. You're doomed if you stay here. This place is cursed. Cursed. It's got a death curse. Who are you? What do you want? God sent me. Get out of here, man. I got to warn you. You're doomed if you stay. Go. Go. I think we just met Ralph. God, what's next? Um, yeah, okay, so that so that was uh, Crazy Ralph there. We kind of, I forgot to play the, tr the clip earlier on, so there you go. Uh, and, and sure, it was a nice wee segue, so uh, so me and Crazy P could take a pee. Um, but yeah, so, so like, well, I haven't really talked much about the characters, but there's a, there's a good scene uh, with the characters. It's uh, Brenda and Bill and um, Alice. <clears throat> and they're they're playing uh, strip monopoly, um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, I I was watching it recently, and um, I like I obviously Alice and Brenda are in, incredibly attractive women, and I was just thinking like like if if you were Bill and and you were sitting there in that cabin with two um, two beautiful beautiful women, and one of them suggests. Smoking some grass, drinking beers, and playing Stripanopoly, you wouldn't believe your fucking luck. <laughs> I bet Bill couldn't believe his fucking luck. He was sitting there playing guitar in front of the fire, and the next thing he knows is he's smoking weed and drinking a beer and playing Stripanopoly. He was probably raging that he put on three pairs of socks that day. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, but I think it was uh, Dom, you, you kind of pointed out earlier on, and, and this has always jarred with me. Um, because the uh, the uh, door blows open, and uh, yeah. uh, Brenda says, "Oh no, I think I've left the the window in my cabin closed." And then that's the end of the night. That's the yeah. end of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, like why doesn't she just I, go and, and like why doesn't she just go and check her window, close her cabin, make sure everything is grand, and then come back and and finish yeah. the grass and have a few more beers and finish off strip monopoly? Yeah, <laughs> it's just it, it's just another one of those little things that kind of strikes you as. That's weird. Mm. Yeah. It's like you're following script directions rather yeah. than like behaving like a normal human being. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same whenever 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 Marcy and Jack are, are, are uh, having sex and then after they've finished, uh, Marcy needs to go to the toilet. It's all for fucking ages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and after and she... <laughs> Kevin Bacon has the nicest back. <laughs> Yeah, he's a really nice boss as well. Oh, hang on, hang on. Dom, he really does. Dom said earlier on when we were watching, he goes, my God, Kevin's back is so smooth. He's <laughs> got the most <laughs> lovely said, back. It's like a woman's back. But, but I mean, I... I well, look, I, that was Tom Savini's back. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but like I'm uh, quite a kind of scared person. And if I was if I was with my partner in the bed, and then um, and it's fucking pissing it down outside, and this is you're in this abandoned camp, and you need to go to the toilet, even if I was a woman, I would just go out. I would just open the door, go outside into the rain, piss right outside the door yeah. and come yeah, right yeah. back in again but yeah. she goes to the all the way to the fucking um thing all the way to the um 
the the toilets uh, on the campsite. And not only does she, does she pee, but she sits and, and reads the graffiti. She washes her hands. Whenever she realizes that the tap isn't working, she fixes the tap. She, she, <laughs> she explores strange noises. And like, and also like like the last thing Kevin Bacon said to her was hurry back, and she said yes. Said, You're not hurrying back. You're taking <laughs> fucking ages. Yeah. You're becoming a, a bit of janitorial work. <laughs> yeah, but that's another. Ni- but that, that that's actually uh, a, a, another nice wee bit is be- is because um, Marcy realizes that the the sink isn't working and she fixes it, and then she gets killed. And then Brenda comes into the toilets later on and she tries the sink next to the one Marcy was using and it yeah. doesn't work. And then she she goes to the one on the left that Marcy was using and it works. Yeah. So she's she's using the the sink that was broken but that Marcy fixed before she died. That yeah, is nice. At I least you died with clean hands then. Yeah, <laughs> I think that kind of I think it kind of links in nice. And, yeah. and at least we, we get a sense of, of some of Marcy's skills. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. She, she's guess, a good plumber. I think. Like, she, uh, I think like like the the first time I watched it, I was like, "Why, yeah, are, you, why are you looking under the sink? Obviously, you're not going to be able to fix it." And like, oh fuck, <laughs> she's just fixed it. Oh. <laughs> but not only have we lost a. a, a a, a, girl, a nice girl we've lost a good plumber as well. <laughs> yeah no yeah. <laughs> but, she, <laughs> but, she, but, but she does actually read out a, a good piece of uh, toilet graffiti um, 40 yards to the art house by Willie Make It <laughs> oh god you know what I never got that joke until you said it right? <laughs> really like, it didn't even occur to me that was a joke I never got that <laughs> nice, it was it? probably her delivery that totally misdirected me from the actual punchline yeah <laughs> but like, uh, speaking of that bit as well like, how did they not notice Ned's dead body above them on the bed yeah. Yeah. Oh. D when you're in love you don't look at the top bunk <laughs> Ned's death's interesting as well because he's kind of wandering along the uh, the the bay, and mm-hmm. and he sees a a random figure quickly disappearing into the house, and rather than fucking legging it in the other direction, he says, "Can I help you?" and follows the figure into the house. It's just classic slasher logic, isn't it? You just you just would yeah. not do that. There's it no way sad. you would do that. Ned's death is definitely one of the most positive things in the film. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he could have died sooner. No, I think the world is a better place after he runs yeah. into that house there. Yeah, yeah. he's a young man. Because the place, young man in Ferdicombe. The place is called Camp Blood, uh, and there have been many, many, many deaths over the years. And he sees a suspicious person dip into a cabin, who doesn't answer to his calls, so he runs <laughs> after him. Or him or her, it's like, oh, excuse me, I was talking to you. Uh, <laughs> Can I help you? <laughs> if only Jason had kind of started and finished with Ned, then the film would actually be a romantic comedy. With <laughs> yeah. a very happy ending and an actual improved cast by the end. Yeah. There's a remake idea. Yeah. Maybe um, Friday the 13th, Mark 2. Friday the 13th, minus Ned. Yeah, drag Ned away at the beginning to Jason's lair, uh, and then Jason com- comes back and torches the rest of them, and then finally kills Ned, kills Ned right at the very end. That'd be a really funny viral video if we find the actor who played Ned and beat the fuck out of him <laughs> and threw him in the river. It's like actually drowning him. <laughs> Let's check if he's alive. <laughs> 
Pluto. <laughs> we, we've watched a lot of Friday uh, the 13th in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, <laughs> um, the other talking point, I suppose, is the uh, music, Har- Harry Manfredini's music, um, which is actually quite typical uh, of 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 his, of of his kind of work. Um, what's the film that he, he he wrote the music for? One of those kind of evil children films. Um, it might just be called like the Children or something. But the first time I was watching it, I didn't realize that uh, he'd done the music for it, and it's just, it's so similar to the Friday the Thirteenth music. I was just like, well, that's obviously Harry Manfredi. It's not Children of the Corn or something. No, it's not Children of the Corn. It's, I think it's just called like the Children or something like that. It's one of those kind of ones. But I mean, it's it kind of I think it borrows borrows a bit from Psycho from the kind of Psycho music. The kind of weep, yeah, weep, weep, well, weep. It's supposedly influenced by Jaws. Okay, I can uh, see that because the the, the, the the cello kind of going. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's very. It's very. one hundred sixty-three movies. Um, Legend. When you look up his, uh, his his credits on IMDb, yeah, the children. Yeah, you're right. The children. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it it just lists the Friday movies uh, one by one. Yeah. Jesus. Swamp thing is wrong. <laughs> Yeah, swamp thing, right? Okay. Cool. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it was his. Um, it was Manfredini, obviously, who did the famous "ki ki ki ma ma ma" sound effect, which I think most people kind of think is like "chi chi chi ha ha ha," but it's um, sounds like "cha cha cha" as well. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, well, it's it, it, it's supposed to mirror Mrs. Voorhees saying, or you know, Jason saying, "killer mommy." So yeah. when Manfredini was recording the soundtrack, he basically said "ke ma" into like a, a kind of overlay thing with an echo. So that's basically "ke ke ke ma 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 ma" because it's supposed to be "kill kill mummy." But I was waiting in Tesco for a while. I was like, "Okay, so how can I tie these?" Like, there's a, maybe four rows of or four areas of quite standard bears. Like, I must be able to tie some of these into. Friday the 13th, and one of them was uh, Singa, and I was standing in front of the, the bottle of Singa, and I was like, sing, 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 ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and, then, and then there's another one, uh, Shumei, I was like, chi, 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 ma, ma, ma. <laughs> Nice. But I didn't end up with that either. <laughs> I'm actually drinking a Sahi at the minute, which is, which is sort of backwards, it's like, you know, yeah. Japanese. And I, I'm, 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 drinking, I'm, I'm drinking the Cobra, go, go. I'm going to do this for every beer we have. <laughs> yeah, <we could. laughs> um, but yeah, so it, 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 interestingly, the um, I don't know if you guys knew this or, or noticed this, but there is a song that's playing um, in the diner that Annie visits at the very start of the film and then the diner that Steve, the Blairstown diner that Steve's in um, towards the end of the film. And it's playing this song called "Sail Away, Tiny Sparrow," and that's a, that's a country song that Manfredini actually wrote. And um, <clears throat> the 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 music at the end when Alice is in the canoe, that kind of you know slushy romantic music, that's like a it's actually a, a like an instrumental kind of piano version of Manfredini's original country song. Right. Yeah. yeah, you told me that, but I, I never, yeah. I would never have spotted that if you hadn't told me that. 
Yeah, it's like you didn't really know. I think it was the same thing with me. I read it somewhere online years ago, and then and then discovered it. Um, the slow version is like a like an adaptation of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, I mean, I've I've actually got the the original version recorded. If you want to have a wee listen to it. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um. See if you guys can hear this. There's something something about that the um, the the sort of yeah the, the groove between the, the the vocals and the the steel guitar is is creepy. There's something something not right about it. Mm. It's, it's, it's not it's they the, the guitar the guitar is doing what it wants and the vocals are doing what they want, but they're not doing it at the same same time. And it obviously works together, but it's well, it's not the guitar where it's threatening. You know, there's, yeah. there's something. Like threatening about it, it's like it's it, it. doesn't want you to be there. It doesn't want you to listen to it. You're <laughs> you're not meant to listen to that. Like it's, there's something something up with that. I I think it sounds like Amy Lou. The, uh, well, yeah, the, the vocals maybe a little bit. Yeah, uh, does uh, did did Manfredi write uh, write that for the movie? No, I think that was like a country song that he'd written, and then he's it, it, written that. And had it been had it been released or? Yeah, it was released by I can't remember the name of the the woman, but I think it was released by a, a kind of like a country artist, yeah. And then okay. it, so then it plays in the diner, uh, and then obviously it plays at the end in that kind of slushy, slushy, you know, music at the end when when Alice is in the boat. Yeah, it, it sounds all wrong. It, it sounds wrong in like the worst way. Uh, not like not like it's bad. It just sounds wrong as in like. Can you uh, can you guys actually remember the uh, like your your initial reaction to the to Jason jumping out of the boat at, or jumping out of Alice at the end? I can definitely, and it was oh, for fuck's sake. I remember. I must have yeah. seen it. I don't know. Uh, certainly, I don't think like when we watched the when we did the marathon in Belfast when I was about maybe 20 or something. I'd definitely seen it once before then, or at least. And I remember going, who the fuck is this guy now? <laughs> <laughs> I remember me, and it was maybe about, about midnight, and I thought I should probably go to bed, and that happened, and I think we did say, fuck's sake, right, well, well then, we're going to have to fucking see where this goes. <laughs> yeah. But then, obviously, that just happens. That just keep, keeps going. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. Dave, okay. Dave, what did you think of the... Uh... The, the, the uh, I'm, I'm still, I've got a question about it actually. Is is it supposed to be her like having a dream? Uh, it's ambiguous. I think it's up to you. Oh, well, then I suppose yeah. it's been interpreted through the sequels that it wasn't. Then I guess. In, the film, in, in the film, I think it is supposed to be her having a dream. Think so? 
Yeah, I, I was actually going to bring this up. Um, do we, do we, do we know that um, Sean Cunningham was planning for like sequels where Jason is the killer, or was that just a throwaway jump scare for the end of the film? No, uh, I don't think he was planning it, and, and apparently uh, uh, Victor Miller, who wrote the screenplay, didn't like it either, and apparently Tom Savini didn't like it, and I think Victor Miller is actually on record as saying he hasn't seen any of the other Friday the 13th films, because he doesn't really? like the idea of Jason being the killer, and then obviously we know that like uh, Cunningham didn't do it. Victor Miller should get off his fucking high horse, because he didn't write fucking Citizen Kane. <laughs> <laughs> And then we know, I mean, like uh, Steve Miner, I think he was associate producer on the Friday the Thirteenth. He then he took on um, parts two and three, and I think Joe Zito did part four. So I don't think Cunningham really didn't really have much to do with it again until like yeah, Jason goes to hell. Um, so no, I don't think uh, anyone in the original team kind of intended it to to happen. But because it was such a big money spinner, Paramount just were like, well, fuck it. You know, obviously we have to do this now. There must have been some inkling that there was um, sequel potential, and that that must. I mean, by nineteen eighty, like people were familiar with the idea of sequels. Um, yeah, uh, with diminishing returns, diminishing budgets, but like you know, big box office. So there must have been some idea that if we have this kind of ending, then it keeps us open. I don't know. The, the, it works. Yeah, well, I, mean, yeah. I, I think. I think the, the fact is. Uh, I think the, the thing about it is that it does work both ways. So uh, you know, this is probably. I, I think this is probably left open. So they said, if this gets uh, a sequel, then this is how it'll work. If it doesn't get a sequel, then it was all a dream. So that just closes it up. You know, it's a, you know, it, it's it's a it's a door both ways. You know, like. Uh, it can be closed up or it could have opened up, so um, it's whatever, you know. I think I think one of the most interesting things is that like the best horror fan franchises start with such great films like Psycho, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, where you start off with like a a classic concept and like great standalone films. But what's amazing about Friday the Thirteenth is that it doesn't start with any of those things. It starts yeah. with like a carbon copy tribute band to other really really good films, which people are obviously still really really fond of because, in its own time, it spawns like um, a, an iconic character. But they still manage to like create all of that out of so little. Yeah, well, I mean, I've said this before. I, mean, I completely disagree with you. Give, give give me Friday the Thirteenth ahead of Halloween and Psycho any day. Like oh, God, no, any no. day. Wash your mind. Do you know? I I I would take Psycho before Friday, but I would nope. definitely take uh, Friday before Halloween. Uh, yeah, no. Hands down, every single time. Hands down. Why do you think that? I think, I think Friday is more reward but than Halloween. I, I think that about Halloween because Halloween is so perfect because you never have any doubt who the killer is and you stay with the killer all the time and you're completely aware of their intentions and that's what makes the film so scary is that you can't help but just be stuck with this one guy who wants to kill people and it's yeah. completely his motives 
are so perfectly nihilistic. Yeah. It's wonderful. But I, I, I mean, like, talk, you know, like talking about shit performances and shit lines. I mean, Halloween has those in spades. The fucking dialogue between <laughs> between the three teenagers at the start of the film when they're walking along. Jesus Christ. That's true. <laughs> That's true, but it's got it's got the charm of a low budget film. Yeah, D, what because you you, you, you didn't really like you're not a big fan of Halloween, really, and I don't know, don't really actually know what your thoughts are Friday Thirteenth in general. But I mean, which do you think's better? Uh, I would I would pick Halloween to be honest. Whoa! Uh, I, I but then I I find it hard to get invested in slashers anyway. Like, it is hard to get invested in the story because there really is not much of a story. Mm-hmm. It's but I, I I assume that's the point of slashers most of the time. I suppose yeah. so. But see, I I, I do, and especially especially for the thirteenth, I kind of like especially like Annie at the start. Um, I oh, I I Annie. think I I I think that <laughs> I think that she's 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 such a warm character and she's just such a nice nice natured person that every single time I watch Friday the 13th I really hope that she doesn't get killed and I'm actually I usually I, I usually sit and watch the opening 10 minutes with my arms folded shaking my head going this is fucking desperate this is, this is just desperate is Ami the artist? no that is the one who, who talks to the dog yeah. oh the girl really gets killed sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, so actually, okay. actually uh, I was saying that to Dom earlier like when we were watching we were actually pissing ourselves laughing like knowing what was going to happen Nanny, and, and we were like for fuck's sake this is totally contrived and uh, she's talking to the dog and he's like hey I'm not from here I'm, I'm from the city I'm a city girl is the camp up that way oh thanks <laughs> I know you don't speak English but it's just so nice Store and I'll ask for a lift. Hey, that'll be fine. <laughs> well, I, I was I, uh, Paul and I were talking about this uh, over Facebook Messenger when we were watching it. You were um, swooning, around yeah. And uh, I, I remember being about like, yeah, because it was about yeah thirteen, fourteen when I first watched it, and I absolutely fancied the fuck out of Annie. Like, <laughs> I think she's unbelievably beautiful. Um, well, I would say I would say that Annie is the only character in the film that I did not want to die. That's because you don't have yeah. to What about know, Alice? She, she does seem like a genuine, like genuinely nice person. You know, all the rest of them at the camp, they can all get fucked because there's <laughs> the creepy chief, there's the weird uh, girl who's having a relationship with the creepy chief, and then all the rest of them are at it uh, with one another or each other or whatever, it, with the trees, <laughs> who knows? They're all at it. You know, bring out uh, the machete, I say <laughs> I, I suppose actually it's it, it's worth talking about uh, Alice as a as a final girl. You know, the, 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 the sla- another slasher trope, the final girl. Um, mm-hmm. she's she's played by Adrian King, and uh, Adrian King actually had quite a difficult time after Friday the Thirteenth, um, because she she appeared in part two, obviously, but um, I I think she was kind of destined for good things, but she had like a a, a stalker, um, oh, yeah? and eventually got quite serious, and she had to kind of get the police involved and things like that. And she kind of dropped out of acting for a while and kind of retreated. And um, I think she, I think she actually did those sketches that that her character has at the start of the film because she's she's a good artist and, and she still paints and she still draws to this day. <laughs> but but she actually uh, owns a um, a vineyard now uh, oh, really? in uh, California, cool. I think, and she's right. called uh, uh, Crystal Lake Wines. Uh, <laughs> she's not. She, they're not exporting to Europe yet. 
but um, yeah, I, I kind of follow them on Twitter and Facebook, and they're always kind of doing me, doing me, doing me things. And she, she seems to be getting on okay now. She's, uh, I think she's back to making films and, and acting in films again. But yeah, like essentially, her career was ruined by some creepy fucking stalker. Yeah. Um, but um, what do you think of her as a as a final girl? You know, if if we're kind of taking like, uh, you know, people like uh, if we're kind of comparing her to maybe like Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, kind of uh, Laurie Strode in Halloween, like. And like the kind of the the, the famous uh, f- final girls, uh, Sally Hardesty and Texas Chainsaw. How does how does Alice kind of fit in with them? Do you think? I don't know. I would say that Alice. I don't think her character is strong enough really to span two films and actually make you worry that much uh, at the start of the second film. Um, I think like. <sighs> I suppose somebody has to survive a horror film. That's that's the idea. But uh, at the beginning of the second one, it's just kind of like, well, your character wasn't really that fleshed out in the last film. So should I really invest any emotion in your character's journey at the minute? Because I kind of feel like you're going to get killed off in the next 10 minutes. Well, she, she was saying she might have to go to California to straighten something on. <laughs> I know, yeah, I suppose it's a difficult choice for anybody. She's got be. layers. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I think... That's a big fucking drive yeah, from New Jersey Well, to, to be honest, to be honest, I think there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of flaws in the characters of the film that I've only just noticed uh, in the last watch, when we last watched the um, seven or eight of them where it kind of like in my mind I had this rosy kind of view of uh, how great the films were and the characters were great and the um the classic horror deaths were brilliant but I'm not I'm not so sure anymore like I'm I'm really kind of on the fence at the minute Judas <laughs> well, I, well one you know, thing I, sorry sorry Paul one thing we haven't talked about which I think is crucial to this film is the opening scene which is such a clear um, facsimile of the opening scene of Halloween. The childhood memory. Yeah, the kind of prologue, the, yeah. The UV shot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's no, no no other time in Friday the 13th does the camera kind of, do we have like a POV shot of like Jason killing yeah, somebody? Yeah. But the opening scene of that film is like the murderer murdering somebody exactly the same way as in Halloween. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So the film starts with like a carbon copy of, well, not carbon copy, but like yeah. very clearly influenced by another classic um, horror film, but very recent. And the film ends with a, a jump scare from a very recent horror film. Yeah. To me, like, the whole film, no, this might sound, <laughs> it might sound rough, but it makes the whole film a bit like Oasis. What, you mean the band? The band? Yeah. <laughs> kind of like, at the time, on paper, they were doing all the right things, but with, with the benefit of time, if you stand back and look, you kind of go, ah, oh, no. I, I, <laughs> band. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, like oh, oh, oh. don't look back in anger. I, would say. Yeah, I was going to say, Tom is looking back in anger. <laughs> Obviously, the um, 
Yeah, by the way, you can probably hear Django go fucking nuts about six inches from my head and like banging a window. Uh, which that I, sounds uh, class. I can't hear him. Let him out then. Let him out. Can you not hear him? I, it, it's driving me no. fucking nuts. What? But, uh, oh, I hear him now. Let him there, there, there's, there's, there's a cat on the other side of his window. There's like a cat war going through, going on through a window. He wants uh, to be. He wants uh, to be with his people. Let him go. If Paul, <laughs> let him put up his flag. Don't be so cruel. <laughs> if this was a Friday movie, one of these cats would be through the window already. But uh, this uh, obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> You would have gone downstairs because you heard a weird noise and you'd be looking through all the different stuff to try and find the noise and then Django would jump out and then you'd be all relaxed because you realised that it was just Django making the noise and then the real killer would come out and stab you in the neck. The real killer would be behind you. But Paul, I mean, like you're a massive slasher film fan. Where do you think Alice kind of stands in the, in the, uh, in the rankings of, of Final Girls? Well, I... Uh, well... Yeah, I think. Uh, I think she's fucking class. I, I think, yeah, I think so. But no, I don't know. I, I think that scene, that scene at the end, where uh, there's, she says, "What about the boy?" That that almost that that obviously was written written as part of the original script, and the uh, and her popping uh, the, him popping out of the water and grabbing her was added later. But it actually feels like that was just created for anyone. It could have been any character, and uh, she just happened to be the one that survived. You know, it felt like that was going to happen anyway. But uh, I mean, that obviously wasn't the way it was intended when it was written. But um, I would say, I, I, I don't think she felt strong enough to have. I don't think she her character was strong enough to have gotten there. You know, I, I, I think the, the female characters in the film are are uh, as strong as they should be. You know. Um, yeah, there's no, I, there's no character in the film that has a goal and then they happen to survive and achieve that goal. Like, there is absolutely nobody in that film that you could say has an arc of any description. There no, is there's at least one you. person who lives, but living isn't an arc. Living is just a fucking straight line that goes like that. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I don't think Laurie Strode in Halloween has, you know, has a kind of particularly interesting arc. Well, she, she, no, but she survives and she has a relationship with the killer. Yeah, but that doesn't happen until the second film. Well, no, in the, in the, well, that's a good point, actually. That's true. <laughs> I, I just think, like, uh, my, my reservations about uh, Adrian King and her character is that. There's, the, 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 which is my main problem with Friday the Thirteenth. Actually, seventy-five percent of the film, there is, there's, I guess there's a lot of murder happening, but it doesn't seem to frighten anybody else in the crowd. Like the guy, uh, what do you call him, Ned, who gets killed at the beginning, is missing for a good twenty minutes and nobody knows it. No one fucking notices until he's until he's dripping on yeah. on Kevin Bacon's forehead, and then Kevin Bacon gets immediately killed anyway. So like, there's all this there's all, all this murder happening all around the place, and nobody actually notices. So there's no there's no threat. So like for her character, I think. Like yes, she, uh, I don't know. It's like it, she, there there wasn't as much dread or terror, in, like a kind of thrust upon everybody in the group as in uh, other standard 
slasher films where mm. like at, right at the beginning somebody maybe gets killed uh, or like disappears for five minutes and somebody's like oh where's that guy yeah. and they find him like in a freezer or something it's like oh shit there's somebody around right, <laughs> right so then you have, you have just over an hour of all the characters being terrified but then friday it's not until the last 20 minutes really where she realizes that everybody else is dead she yeah. just thought oh they've all just gone to bed it's like <laughs> had too much to drink or they're all away shagging each other well, don't worry about it. And then, of course, this mad woman comes along with a machete, and it's like, oh fuck! But that's the thing because they they want the it's a who done it, um, mm. with the who done it, who done it also means who fucking cares. It's yeah. just people dying. <laughs> but then eventually you find out who it is, but you don't really have enough time to um develop a relationship between the person who's being um pursued and the attacker yeah. whereas with halloween you do have that relationship because like it or not you're stuffed with michael myers through the whole film mm. so yeah. you understand his motives and you're with him yeah and they kind of notice him from the start they kind of see him driving about and they're kind mm. of wondering like you know who's this guy following us and she's the street looking creepy who's yeah. that she like she she, she, she sees him outside the classroom she sees him outside her bedroom window yeah D, D uh, Alice is a Alice is a final girl. I just don't think there's much to her, to be honest. Um, like there's no like I think as as Dom mentioned there, there's no character development. She just doesn't really go anywhere, you know. It's a, I suppose you could juxtapose it with Halloween and uh, argue that there is a character arc, but there's nothing with Alice. Like, yeah. do, do you think there is or? Well, why do you like her, actually, I think? That's a better question. <laughs> yeah. Um, why do I like Alice? Um, <laughs> I'm not getting too, too much into Ian's 14-year-old mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, now, she does prove... She does actually prove quite quite formidable um, at the end, you know, during, during the kind of the scenes with, with Mrs. Voorhees. She could just kind of stand up for herself and she's able to kind of you know, uh, throw her off and things like that. And she does end up, you know, grabbing a machete and fucking whacking her head off. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree. There, there isn't much characterization, and, 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 and but it's, it's it's not that kind of film, and that's not what I kind of look for in the film. You know, it's not kind of like like we're watching Psycho when we get Marion Crane and the, and the background with her her um, relationship with her boyfriend and, and Marion Crane steals the money and then she goes to the hotel and she feels guilty. You know, like... We, we we don't get that with Alice, but we're also not looking for that with Alice. We're just looking for someone who's kind of uh, strong and robust. And I think that she that she carries that through. And I think that uh, that she uh, kind of comes across like that. But yeah, I mean, um, it is it is one of those slasher films where you kind of you think, well, and any of them really could end up being the final girl. And uh, I think if I hadn't seen the film, I would probably say I would have thought Brenda would have been the final final girl. She seems the most plucky. And the most kind of um, uh, confident, and the most kind of uh, yeah, the, the strongest. But um, is she the one who's like forty, or the one with the cookies. <laughs> uh, she's right. the one. She's the one with the uh, with the green mac. The one who's in the toilets after Marcy gets killed. Who who cancels the uh, monopoly game? Oh God! Uh, well, Ian, yeah, no, I would agree with you in the sense that um, um, Alice pulls it out of the bag at the end, and yes, she takes like. Uh, Mrs. Voorhees gives her a fucking massive slap, like on the beach. Like it's like stupid friggin' fighting, but she does actually 
when, when, like when it's called on when when she's called on she actually acts like you like you would hope that you would do in a horror film that you would friggin chop somebody's fucking head off <laughs> like oh my god it's like I thought everyone was fine, but now everyone's dead. Now I have to yeah. cut someone's head off. Then uh, yeah, fair enough. Really good. That's, that's, that's but, a comment. How like how difficult that. is it though in like satisfying storytelling to give her like something that she has to overcome to defeat Mrs. Forez? Like I don't know, she's afraid of water, so she has to fucking defeat her in water, or she's got fur to go and she has to fight her at the top of a mountain. Like something <laughs> simple. <laughs> But the film doesn't do it's basic storytelling. Maybe she's just afraid of machetes. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> and, and you know what? All that we take is a line at the start of the film <laughs> where, where Jesus Christ holds up his machete to smack the log and she's like, oh, I've always feared machetes since I was a child and my uncle um, hacked off my nephew's leg and everybody's like, ha, 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 ha. That'll never come up later. I've always feared machete since I was a child. Uh, on the on the subject of that last scene, actually, do you think you could se- uh, successfully argue in court that decapitation is grounds for self-defense? Uh, yes, I, I could. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, and I have done. Well, yeah, maybe, yeah, that, that's weird. I mean, like, it, it seems to be... It, it, seems, it seems to be, like, almost effortless. Yeah, or I... I Imagine yeah. it's not effortless in real life. I mean, yeah, I, I, it, you mean the wild stuff somebody, but I, I don't imagine. I can't remember it being that easy. I no, mean, yeah, I, I you really can't remember it being that easy. Yeah, so, Paul, yeah. what are you? What? I'm just <laughs> thinking if like a burglar came into my house. Oh fuck! I forgot. I forgot you joined ISIS. Sorry, dude. <laughs> if, if a burglar came into my house and uh, I decapitated him and then phoned the police and said, "Oh, it was self-defense." <laughs> Would they believe me? Well, yeah. probably not. But I mean, if you were if you were out in the woods and like your five friends were brutally murdered and you decapitated the murderer, I think, and particularly in America, I think you'd get away with it. I think you'd be grand. Yeah, but maybe maybe if if, the, if you told the police that this old lady had you pinned down on the beach and she was slapping you in the face, so you picked up a machete that just happened to be lying beside you and you cut her head off. Maybe that's that's not quite the same as self-defense against the slap, you know? I love the bit where I, I, I love the bit where she gets she gets kind of locked in the in the in one of the kind of uh, storage bits and there's all the guns on the wall and she like grabs the gun and she's looking for the bullets and she tries to like knock the Knock the um, padlock off the off the off the drawer because that's obviously where the bullets are kept and stuff like that. It's just so fucking cool. And like her her like her um, her uh, kind of uh, blue jeans and her um, and her kind of boots. You know, like like she looks like so American. I think. Yeah. I just think like she looks like a, she looks like an American woman basically. Yeah, you know, she's got the kind of like, yeah. yeah, like the blouse and like the the blonde hair, blue eyes, cool jeans, and like really funky kind of. Uh, cool boots basically I just think yeah she's fucking cool she's badass I thought the opposite <laughs> <laughs> I was actually um, kind of going through uh, YouTube videos kind of looking at um, trailers and things of Friday the 13th and I found this this one video where it's like I like the the video is basically I think it's the scene where Marcy is in the is in the is in the toilet and she's doing that uh, weird impression in front of the mirror and you can see her pants and then and then the, there's like a whole thread below of like different women 
um, talking about how great women's pants were in in the seventies, and it's like, oh, like I wish we had panties like that now. Like uh, women <laughs> women had it so lucky in the seventies. You know, the panties were so classy. <laughs> Do you agree? <laughs> I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's another that's another thing I really like about it is the is like the the fashion style. Like uh, I think Marcy has like brown flares and a pink pink top and like uh, all the guys are wearing checkered shirts and you know it's just it's it's so american it's like they're all you know you know like they should all be fucking you know uh lassoing horses and smoking Mar- marlboro reds you know <laughs> okay so i think we've we're kind of uh ripped ripped the arse out of friday the 13th uh, <laughs> uh for one evening anyway and um usually this this is the this is the point at which we do our, our sum ups but me and d and paul have been kind of thinking of uh, a way of shortening it uh, and so what we've come up with is basically y- y- you have to give the film a mark out of 17 uh-huh. and then you've got that many seconds to to give a uh, review wow so seven, if, if you seven. give it if you give it 13 out of 17 you've got 13 seconds okay so uh d do you want to go first uh actually uh i have to stay consistent don't uh what what did i give uh halloween you, 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 I think you gave Halloween less than fifty percent. I think you gave Halloween like it. Okay, did I? Did I go that low? I, I think you did. Yeah, because I, I was, I was livid. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll go for seven. Why don't I have to be seven out of seventeen for Friday the Thirteenth. I'm, I'm going to get a, a stopwatch up here, and uh, I'm okay, going to. Okay, D, you've you've got you've got seven seconds. Uh, annoying, lack of storyline, but good effects. That's that's the best I can do in seven seconds. Yeah, you, you did it. You did it in four point five seconds. <laughs> well done. Okay, uh, Crazy P, I'll uh, I'll uh, time you. Uh, What's your score? My score. <laughs> But a seventeen is, ah, I, I, I think I'm going to give it about fifteen. 15. Nice one, good lad. <laughs> yeah. You're <laughs> uh, And this is why. Okay. And this is why. Let, let's start. Go. It's a movie that has to be taken on its own terms, and it it very much demands that it be taken on its own terms and the it's 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 nihilistic and it's it's horrible but it's over the top and that's exactly what it wants to be and that's it stop nice nice okay uh damo uh i'm gonna say four four <laughs> yeah four out of 17 yeah <laughs> Are you angry? <laughs> <laughs> you don't mean that. You're, you're just trying to get a reaction out of me, aren't no, you? Sir, no, I, I'm totally serious. Four. I've, I've got, I've got my strap line. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. When I, whenever I say go, you've got four seconds. Yeah. Go. I like the films. Friday the Thirteenth likes a lot more than I like Friday the Thirteenth. Done. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Actually. I don't really know what that means. I like its influences more than the film. Ah, I see. Okay. C Mac. Oh, sorry, that was one. <laughs> C Mac. What about you? Um, what did he say? Out of seventeen. Yeah. 
<laughs> Don't ask. <laughs> Nobody knows. Um, I would say probably at a seventeen eleven. Nice. Good work. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, we're going to hear now. Oh. Okay, whenever I say go, you've got 11 seconds. Ready? Yeah. Go. Many fun, fun memories, but upon rewatching, falls short in on so many levels, script, characterization, and acting. Done. <laughs> Actually, it, it sounded like you were trying maybe, to... Maybe you should have given about five. <laughs> uh, I am going to give... I, 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 don't know, I don't know whether to give it 17 or 16. Can't give it Basically. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite... Well, yeah. Um, I will give Friday 13... Fuck it, I'm going to give Friday 13 17. Because it's, it's, it's one of the best films ever made, so... But it is. It's not. It is. <laughs> it's, it is. Okay. It's actually not. Right, who's who's right, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm timing Ian. Here we go. Okay. Two, one, go. <laughs> Obviously, I've got the the whole nostalgia thing going on, but beyond the nostalgia thing, uh, it does exactly what it's what it's supposed to. It's popcorn horror. It makes you. Uh, I mean, the beautiful foliage and the amazing shots, um, and really heavily borrows off the Italian Jello films. It basically, with, without Friday the 13th, there is no slasher genre, and the American horror genre doesn't in, in any way relate to what we know as it as today. Amazing characterization, uh, and yeah, phenomenal deaths, Tom Savini, blood, gore. Uh, this is 38 seconds. 38 seconds? Yeah. That wasn't 38 seconds. It, it was. was uh, it was actually 40 seconds. Right. Sorry. I, I I passed out when you said it made some characterization. Time is weird. <laughs> I, I, I was sure that was like seventeen minutes. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Oh. That, that was that was longer than some of the fucking sequels. <laughs> I'm cool. Stop slagging me off. Yeah. Well, um, it's just the the next thing we have to do is basically um choose the next film that we're going to watch and it's my turn I think isn't it yeah well uh, we, we, we kind of did a nice segue from Bava to Friday the 13th and I'm going to do another one and it's also related to something that happened recently uh, Wes Craven died oh uh, oh god yeah, uh, I'm right behind it don't, don't make us wait <laughs> so uh, I know I know uh, so the next film we're going to watch is Deadly Blessing oh okay uh, Paul, have you seen Deadly Blessing? I haven't actually. No. D, have you seen Deadly Blessing? No, I, I haven't seen it either. Dom and Dom and Connie Mac. I haven't no, seen no, it. No. Okay, it's a classic Wes Craven film. I think it was like the first kind of. It kind of marks his uh, his move from exploitation films, Last House and Hills of Eyes, to the kind of popcorn stuff. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah. Sharon Stone's yeah. first film, I think. And you've also made a nice little uh, one-year step from uh, Friday to Deadly Blessing. Was, that was 1981, Deadly Blessing. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, good work, good work. <laughs> All right, cool. So we've got that to look forward to. So, yeah, uh, where's Craven's Deadly Blessing? Nice one. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I think that's uh, that's that's it for another episode. Yeah. So I suppose we should, we should thank our... our, our uh, or 
beloved guest. A <laughs> 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 beloved and, and hallowed guest. Do you know Do you know those two guys out of the uh, the Muppets that sit in the gallery of Muppets <laughs> <laughs> just like shouting people down below? Waldorf and Stan. Waldorf and Stan. Yeah. <laughs> the only one that ever knows a name. I can never remember the name. Dom always has to remind me. Is that their name? Waldorf and Salad? Yeah, Waldorf and Stadler. Oh, I thought it was Waldorf and Salad. Waldorf and Salad would be pretty. But, we all um, we all know the Skype theater is around anyway, so we'll we'll be here <laughs> the next time we're doing another one. <laughs> yeah, and uh, hopefully uh, Dom and Connor, you'll uh, join us in the future for an, for another episode. Yeah, certainly. It's love. Yeah, it's it's been one of the great pleasures of my life. Yeah, totally <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Cheers, Dom and Connor, and Crazy uh, yeah. P. Say goodbye. God bless. Goodbye. And young David, say goodbye. Bye. <laughs> and Dom and Connor, give your give your slancha. I'll be right back. <laughs> Cheers! Another episode done. Yay! Be right back.
my